You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. What is it you've done, Raymond? Murder, father. Why did you murder someone, Raymond? For money. Who did you murder for money, Raymond? You, father. After I killed them, I walked home to await instructions. Get to Bruges. 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 Where's that? It's in Belgium. For two weeks, in Bruges, in a room like this, with you? No way. Been to the top of the tower. Guidebook says it's a must-see. Well, you ain't going up there. Why? It's all windy stairs. I'm not being funny. What exactly are you trying to say? There are a bunch of elephants. Mr. Blakely? Yes? You have a message. Number one, why aren't you in when I told you to be in? You better be in when I call again or there'll be now to pay up. I'm telling you. He swears a lot, doesn't he? Excalibur. Oh, God. What is he doing? The sum of all fears. Road okay. to perdition. Okay. Mickey Boo and me. The Phantom of the Opera. Munich. Miami Vice. Amazing Grace. Margot at the wedding. There will be blood. I missed like an extremely important one. In Bruges. Where am I going now? No. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. A lot of bullshit. <laughs> the disappearance be... of Eleanor Rigby. Okay, there we go. No, yeah. no, no. There we go. There we go. Because I was literally just thinking about that specifically. Uh, that's your lines. Justice League. Yeah, there I couldn't one... do it. I couldn't stop. Uh, like um, uh, Dominic Limberdozi. I couldn't uh, not do Kieran Hines when he's our second number three appearance on the show. He um, is our no. He's our third number three appearance. I left Sorry, out Veronica Garen. I'm, he's about I'm not really sure third. why. Um, he's about to be yeah he's second third is coming up i forget the third's coming up yeah yeah this is the last kieran hines appearance on the podcast <laughs> i love Ooh. kieran hines all right everybody <laughs> you know what this is this is above the title <laughs> a podcast about the state of the 21st century movie star we are looking at the career of colin farrell and today we're looking at the 2008 well i'm not looking at it 2008 film Eight. in bruges um by an irish does he consider himself Irish, Martin McDonough? It's complicated. Yeah. On that um, front. By an Anglican uh, filmmaker, Martin McDonough. We are joined today by our friend Maya. Hello. What's up, Maya? And Thanks I'm Connor. And I'm Cole. <laughs> I wish I had a C name. I feel like I'm off base. Call me, call me Kaya for the next eight Kaya. hours. Okay, I will call you. <laughs> um, he's from London. His parents are Irish. I don't think he's think ever they... lived in Ireland. Okay. That is, makes is, is the answer of Martin McDonough. I feel like he, I feel like I read in an interview that he had spent part of his childhood in Ireland, but I, Maybe. Um, there's, I might need to double check this. There's that thing that you will sometimes like hear like Irish critics say, like not Irish American critics like us, Connor, but like, yeah, actual Irish nationals say, uh, 
that they think that Martin McDonough is a Brit, like packaging pastoral Irish culture for like American consumption. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at his, if you look at his stage output, like it's worse. Is there than a single one output. that doesn't in that doesn't take place in Ireland, or at least, um, yes, star Irish characters? Uh, the Pillow Man, his yeah, most okay. famous and beloved play. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I just think that's a thing he gets he gets dinged with sometimes because especially, I mean, this kind of reared its head when Banshees came out because Banshees is so much of a line with his his theater work in a way that mm-hmm. this movie isn't and his other two movies aren't. Um, but this idea that there's that just that very like exaggerated provincial Irish like brogue to his work that feels very stereotypical in a fashion and sometimes he's playing with that and sometimes he's not mm-hmm. uh but i think the fact that he's from london that that does rub people the wrong way sometimes yes i have it right here i was mistaken yeah. um his parents moved to london and he was born in 1970 but they were born and and considered themselves to be irish yes um he spent his life in london his parents have since moved back to galway and they yes. currently live in ireland and his and, brother lives in Ireland. And he's dating Phoebe Waller-Bridgers. Yes, that's the great. one thing I knew. I love that for them. My one fact. Uh, I love, yeah, it's it's a good, it's a really good couple. Have you ever read Connor? Are either of you too familiar with his his plays at all? Um. Yes, uh, uh, I'm blanking on. Maya is shaking her head. I'm shaking my head. No, I forgot I have to speak. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, no. I've read the one about the 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 one that was like the initial, the one that initially put him on the map. Um, in terms of American theater, about the uh, the Irish terrorists. Do you know? You know uh, Lieutenant of Inishmore. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I have never read Lieutenant of Inishmore. Um, I, I have, I have obliquely mentioned this on um this podcast a few times but i flunked out of a theater program once uh i did briefly want to try to be an actor um and because i walk with a limp uh when i was in that course my acting teacher told me i should read his play um cripple of inishman which is very good um do you guys know the movie man of iran Yes. Heard of it, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's by, just for context, it's by, I'm blanking on his name. Um, it's uh, by Flaherty. Yes, thank you. It's yeah. by Robert J. Flaherty, who's most famous for Nanook of the North, which is quote unquote, like the first real documentary. <laughs> I'm doing that in the biggest air quotes of all time. Very quote unquote. Yeah, Flaherty yeah. is a guy who would, like, was an early ethnograph- ethnographic filmmaker who would make these like, quote unquote, documentaries about you know, offbeat, you know, kind of pastoral cultures, most famously one about Inuits that were complete fabrications, right? Like, um, and one of the movies he made And was frankly, about... all you have to do is consider um, the the reality of filmmaking equipment in the 1920s yes. to understand that, yes. <laughs> um, to to consider his films the way I think we consider documentaries in a, in a modern um, perspective is com- completely out of the realm of possibility. Um, yes. Couldn't um, even shoot inside back when he was making these. One, one of his movies was about uh, rural Irish life in like the islands off the coast, like the fishing islands. Um, and 
the McDonough play Cripple of Inishman is about like the casting process for that documentary. And is actually kind of interestingly about this sense of like repackaging Irishness as a commodity to be sold to American audiences, which is why I always think it's funny wow. that that's something he got dinged with a lot when Banshees came out. Wow. I uh, want to read that. Like It's good. I haven't possible. read it. Like I said, I haven't read it in like 15 <laughs> years. It's a good play. Um, um granted yeah, but, yeah i've also i've read um hangman and the and the pillow man yeah uh, both we, both very good yeah. uh but yeah this is uh this is the episode on the 2008 film in bruges which is the directorial debut of the famed playwright martin mcdonough someone who hates writing plays he goes <laughs> off on that at length has many times yeah. um he always seemed to view it uh as a means to an end uh, and I, there was an episode of the podcast Blank Check recently where they floated this idea of like, what's the like first movie that's going to be mentioned in someone's obituary as like a gauge of like, what's the most important movie to their career that, cause that's oh. not necessarily the highest grossing. It's not necessarily the most popular or the most well-liked or the most award-winning or the best reviewed, right? Like yeah. what's the one that clinches it? I do think that when Colin Farrell dies, barring like something real major coming down the pipe that we don't know about yet, I do think that Colin, when Colin Farrell dies, it's going to say Colin Farrell in Bruce Star, right? Probably. Like I, this is just such the yeah. Colin Farrell movie in so many ways. I think this this Stressing movie is out. this movie is the. Um, <laughs> The like, especially for our journey watching up until yes. this point, it's like the long-awaited summation of this promise of Colin Farrell that we've yes. been experiencing. Yeah, he's so fucking good in this movie. <laughs> um, can I read to you a quote from McDonough when yeah. he was on the press run for In Bruges? Uh, yeah. He was asked what it was like to move from the stage to the screen. This is in uh, this is an indie wire. And his his answer is, I was really scared of the move in a lot of ways because I've always had a healthy disrespect for theater. I always tried to write plays that a film fan, which is what I was, would like plays for people who don't like plays. And because I had a disrespect for the form at the outset anyway, it was easy for me to write plays that were kind of different and shook things up a little bit. But then with film, I'd always loved everything about cinema. From age 12 or 14, I was watching everything from Scorsese to Terrence Malick to Kurosawa to Orson Welles. So it was much harder for me to write a script of fear that, of fear that kind of company. It took longer than plays. It's just... His his success in in theater is 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 reluctant yeah. in a way. That's really yeah. insightful though, because it's like when yeah. you're really good at something you hate, and then the one thing you love, you're like, I'm too scared to touch it with a ten foot pole. I'm gonna be bad at it, yeah. and I don't want to. I I know he has also many times expressed a discomfort with the like elitism of theater. Yeah, um, as as a commercial enterprise, this idea that you know a, a movie ticket is so much cheaper than a play ticket, yeah, um, that that is it is the more more proletarian form, and I think he bristles against. He brings that, that up as well. Um, yeah. IndieWire asks him, uh, well, well, they start asking him where the anger and violence in his work come from, comes from, and he says, like, I love drama. I'm not really necessarily an angry person. And then the interviewer from IndieWire says. 
well, did growing up poor in Irish in London kind of like influence this? And he says, yeah, maybe it's kind of a class thing. Um, Later on, he says, I've been angry about being brought up in a society where for the working class an artistic life or a life in theater is considered an impossibility, never spoken or dreamt of. It's a civil service job that you should be hoping for or a factory job. Also, watching a lot of theater when I was trying to write plays that made me angry as I was being rejected, seeing what they did put on put on the stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <And> he's just it's <laughs> everything he says um, yeah, in these interviews he, makes me I, laugh. I have my issues with more. I have my issues with both McDonough brothers. Yeah, uh, often issues that are brought up by the fact that I feel like they're often better than the work that they produce. Uh, I think that is more true of, of John Michael uh, than, than Martin because um, have you guys seen any of his brother's movies? Um, Cavalry and yeah. uh, what's the second big one? Uh, they both star Brendan. The Guard. Uh, Brendan Gleeson. The... Yeah. yeah. Yes, I think yes, I've yes. seen The Guard. Like, yeah. The Guard forever really ago. Good. Uh, Calvary, not Cavalry. Calvary. Calvary, um, sorry. Uh, which is his his brother's movie with Brendan Gleeson that is like this really searing like look at the Catholic child sexual abuse thing is like that that is a a a special movie and then everything his brother has done since then is like half written nonsense uh that is like lazily baked critiques of American elites. It just it doesn't click. And I watch his stuff and I'm like, yeah. I know you're smarter than this because I saw Calvary and Calvary makes me cry. Um I watched so like I said, this is this is Martin McDonough's first movie. This is in Bruce. We will properly contextualize this first, but I want to get this out of my head. This is Martin McDonough's first feature, but he had made after like a 10-year run as a very well acclaimed up-and-coming playwright. Um, a few years before this movie, he had made a short film called Six Shooter, which won uh, the Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film. Yes. Uh, putting and I just a- want to contextualize a 10 year run, not just up and coming, but yeah. a 10 year run where he's essentially being crowned in some circles as like the next David Mamet. The next yeah, I was about major, to say major, major. People... Uh, yeah. Discourse worthy playwright that doesn't happen all the time. I, I like Martin. He's not as good as David Mamet. I'm sorry. Uh, I I'm like um, David Mamet is a genius. Uh, but if you Martin read McDonough's, if you read the reviews yes, of his work yes, and no. the pieces that are written about him, it's clearly in that kind of light context. Yeah. 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 Which also makes sense because there's this um, there's that like exurbicness and like that, that almost shock jock energy to yeah. Martin McDonough. Mm-hmm. That is similar to David Mamet. Mamet has a. They're both crass playwrights. I don't. I don't know how much Mamet you two have read. I assume you've seen the movies. I've read a decent amount. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 it's a different energy to the two of them. I think about my least favorite line in In Bruges, which is which is really I think the the thing that strikes me as indicative of Martin McDonough is this one line. Let me pull it up. Um, I'm so curious. To know I, know, I, 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 really... can't, I, I, I can't locate where you're, where you're heading for this least favorite line. I hope it's okay, not one I've, that I like, cause that'll make me feel. Like um, I'm going to read this line 
verbatim. So I apologize for the language I'm going to use. Oh use um, the accent. Use the accent. I'm not using the accent. <laughs> uh, this is something that Colin Farrell says in this movie. Somehow I believe, Ken, that the balance shall, shit, uh, shall tip in the favor of culture like a big, fat, fucking, retarded, fucking black girl on a seesaw opposite a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Right? That's... Th- there is... There is like a almost poetry to to David Mamet telling people to go fuck themselves in his plays. And when McDonough, and I think the person McDonough is actually most in the lineage of, which is Tarantino, mm-hmm. when McDonough and Tarantino kind of both go for that same crassness, they just hit it a little too hard. Yeah. You know, like that joke I just read is a fat joke. I don't even he know. He puts two other crass yeah. descriptors on there just to make it more shocking. And it, it came out of nowhere when I heard it. It, I was it like, comes oh. out of nowhere. And I know it because it's burned into my brain because I've seen this movie a million times. Um, that's when they're in the church, right? No, that's when they're in the bar. When they're getting high, yeah. isn't it? No, it's when they're in the bar and he's like, you can go on this date with this girl tonight if you let me do all my tourist shit today. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's it's a, it's a completely line. unnecessary line. It is. Um, just to just to contextualize my relation to this movie, this movie comes out in two thousand eight. I am fifteen when this movie comes out. It will probably not surprise the two of you. This movie blew my fucking mind when it came out, right? Because <laughs> this is very much a movie for like fifteen year old boys. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Oh yeah. Um, and I saw it in the theaters and I loved it and I watched it a bunch of times since i have not watched this movie in like seven years and i can tell you the reason in a while here too and i know exactly the reason why i had not watched this in seven years is that i last watched this probably in like late 2016 early 2017 and then a little movie called three billboards ebbing missouri came out (laughs) and i was like I don't want to think about in Bruce. Like I, I like I knew <laughs> in my soul that I would go back and I would watch in Bruce and I would just like bury my head in my hands and a lot of it. Um, weirdly, not even the race stuff or the language stuff. It's the it was the Peter Dinklage stuff in in Bruce. I was like, mm, I'm not gonna have a good time rewatching it, it, Peter Dinklage stuff in Three Billboards. Sorry, um, yeah. made me be like. I don't think I'm going to have a good time rewatching In Bruges. So I just didn't rewatch In Bruges for several years. And then I watched it again this morning. And I actually don't think it's as bad in that regard as like it had, I had worked it up in my memory to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's great. Uh, I don't think it's a three billboards level like nightmare. Uh, I hate three billboards outside of Epping, Missouri. I Tell us how you is. really feel, Cole, about three billboards. <laughs> I, I think that movie's vile. Uh, I think that movie is like evil at its core and filled with this hatred. And like, it, it, it's not just that that movie is like weirdly racist. It's that that movie is weirdly racist while having this like smug sense of superiority about itself that it's like smarter than Americans and that Americans are the real racists. And that is a movie in which there are two black characters, both of them, one each probably get a line and then they make eye contact and immediately fall in love, <laughs> which is a I thing. That's happens. how it happens in real life. I don't oh, think. Oh, is it? Is it? I hadn't known. Yeah. 
Wow, I need to do a lot of uh, I need to do a lot of reading then because <laughs> I seem to be lost. I, I didn't know. Um, no, I I uh, I agree with you. I haven't watched this in a while, probably because of um the existence of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I said this earlier in the pod. I can't remember what film we were talking about when I said this, but I do feel this discrepancy sometimes between foreign mostly british or some other anglican european filmmaker trying to make a film about specifically racial politics in america, in america where they yes. seem to clearly just not truly understand like the texture of these very intricate negotiations between racial relationships it's... that happen in this country and that's the one that i always think of as like the biggest blaring example of you probably just shouldn't have yeah. made a film about this being who you are. It's um, Martin McDonough. It's uh, one of the reasons, and we'll get into this later, but one of the reasons why I think widows is such a miracle is yeah. that it's this very like, because but the, widows is, you know, widows and weirdly Candyman are the two that pull it off. And there's something about, I guess maybe Brits get Chicago. Um, but but these two cases of British filmmakers taking this very British text that is about white people, transplanting it onto Chicago, making it about race in the way that the original wasn't. And both those things and Candyman pulls it off in this like messy kind of disastrous, barely, barely crossing the finish line way. Widows like. I think you mean OG so... Candyman. Oh yes. Yeah. If yeah. I if I refer to Candyman, I'm talking about the. I'm just making Candyman. sure. I'm just making... <laughs> so, well. You you pulled out the Doctor Sleep out of nowhere last week, so I'm just if, <laughs> I'm just doubling down. If we, to make if sure. we have to talk about the DaCosta Candyman, we're going to be here all day. I'm never going <laughs> to stop screaming. Um, Widows is such this pristine, I think, understanding not just of racial politics of America, but about a specific flavor of regional racial politics in America in a way that I don't think. Any British filmmaker, including Steve McQueen in other movies, has ever been able to pull off. And that's like the shining example. And most of the times you get a movie like Free Billboards. Yeah, it's very Salad. it's it's a yeah. something I would love for somebody to write a dissertation about one day about foreign filmmakers making writing and, and directing films Did about I... America and specifically about like American issues. Did I go on my 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 rants about movies about black American civil rights leaders on mic. I can't remember. I, oh, I don't know if you did it on mic. I, um, I think there's a conspiracy to only cast Brits as notable absolutely. black Americans. Like I don't I it happens so often that I think Hollywood is like colluding on something. Oh, um, for sure. And I know no, no disrespect they, to any of those Brits, actors. They kind of just just to throw the question out to you, because um, one, I can't remember if you said it on mic. It two, was. I didn't ask about this Wilkinson. question last time. Um, do you think it's because them being British, they're alienated from like I think, the reality I think, of the discussion in the country as as it is right now? I don't think it's that. I think it's that Hollywood thinks that, if that makes sense. That's probably I, true. I yeah. also think it's this fetishization of... Um, Brits is being quote unquote real actors trained. Real yeah, trained. trained actors. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And because uh, Maya, the the thing that brought this up is we we brought up Selma. Ah, um, and I was thinking, well, but also 
Tom Wilkinson and Tim Roth. Oh yes. All all three of the leads <laughs> in Selma are uh yeah. black friends. Yes. Uh it's not all them because obviously you had Chadwick Boseman, obviously yeah. Stefan James and Race, but like those movies kind of then bomb, right? The mm-hmm. the ones that get attention are Judas and the Black Messiah, are Selma, are Harriet. Um, there was another, there's another big one that I'm I'm blanking on that I mentioned in my rants. Um, we have gotten so off in Bruges. Three billboards just gets me fucking heated. Um it was 12 my, years of slave. Um it was 12 years 12 of slave. Years of slave. Well, but but well, not to not get into it. Should we move? Should we yeah? Shall yeah. we 12 years of slave a movie? I just I refuse to watch it. Okay, <laughs> like, we're moving so British. Is we're moving on. Thing. We're moving there, on. There's one American actor in that movie, and it's Taron Killam. Um, no, Paul Dano's in that movie. Oh God, Paul Dano is yeah. in that. He movie. does get his ass whooped in that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the highlights. And Brad yeah. Pitt is in that movie. Oh, Pitt is in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Pitt. Pitt's the good white man. Uh, well, he produced the film. So he, he produced the movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. My, I, 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 I swear to God, Maya, Brad Pitt shows up at the end as like the good white man who saves him from slavery. Of course. Yeah, that is who Brad Pitt is. That in is nature, who Brad Pitt so. absolutely is. Brad Pitt has never done anything untoward. <laughs> Have I've you never seen his children? Cut... He's got his I've... own little UN happening over there. <laughs> I've never had to cut anything about Brad Pitt out of this podcast for fear of legal action because I realized that's an unsettled court case. Um, but but Maya, before yeah. I get into the meat of In Bruges, uh, why uh, why did you pick this movie? So Connor kind of picked it for me because I've never seen it. This my, I watched it, it for the first time. I started it last night and then I fell asleep and finished it this morning. <laughs> That is no reflection of the film. That's just, I started at like 2 a.m. And I'm like, this is not the right time for me to be processing this movie. Um, I had originally been like, oh, Colin Farrell, maybe I'll do Alexander. And you're like, oh, someone took Alexander. And you're like, In Bruges is still open. I'm like, never seen it. You're like, that's that's oh, yeah. it. We're putting you down for In Bruges. I had no context what this movie was, what it was about. Like, had never heard of it until I sat down. And I actually had that conversation with Connor. Interesting. I think that's good, though, because... I mean, I think part of why this movie kind of exists in the cultural firmament the way it does is because so many people had that experience with it, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, it, it did kind of come out of nowhere. I, I can say McDonough was, like, a well-respected playwright, but who gives a shit about well-respected I don't think anybody, to be I don't think any honest. cinephiles knew who he was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Colin's career is kind of over at this point. Gleason is not a star. Fines was not really in the marketing initially. Like, mm-hmm. so there, it, it it came out in February. It has a dumb title that most Americans couldn't pronounce at the time. It does have a dumb title. It has a yeah. really dumb title. Uh, I don't but they do it repeat in. it 500 times throughout <laughs> the movie. So just so you don't forget. Frankly, the, the like log line of the film makes it seem like a bad Tarantino knockoff it is kind of a bad tarantino knockoff though it, i i think it's more success it's, i i honestly feel this way about mcdonough in this film and and well i guess maybe yes. just this film i haven't really thought about seven psychopaths that much in the decades since i've seen it yes. um i do think he is able to use the language that we were talking about and the crassness of his writing in a way that actually 
contributes towards character development in a way that like Tarantino doesn't necessarily ever yes. nail. Yeah. When I say this is a bad Tarantino knockoff, what I'm saying is, and I think, I think Seven Psychopaths makes this point more literally. You've seen it, right, Connor? Yeah. Maya, I assume you haven't. Uh, because seven psychopaths is more is like so textually postmodern um in a way i think it reflects back on this one where this is wearing the skin of a bad tarantino knockoff right this is like an albert camus novel occurring inside of things to do in denver when you're dead well it's Um, like it's like uh I was thinking this while I was watching it this time and 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 you know this is a film that I've also seen a dozen times if not more. We're in the room right never... for it. <laughs> it's just what it is. Yeah. And I've I've never well one of my one of uh uh one of my female friends first I didn't see it in theaters yeah. um what had initially recommended it to me uh which I find fairly interesting my it was jenna who you met when i was making that short yeah she had seen it first and she was like i think you would like this movie um but i never really thought about it in these terms before but i you know when you watch something like pulp fiction and you can really read the godardian elements that tarantino is pulling from but not necessarily like understanding and this film also seems like it's pulling from those same elements, but I think you can almost remove Tarantino from the the chain of lineage there. Like I, I, I almost was feeling like I could see the tether between what McDonough's doing and what Godard does in some of his more narrative propelled films in a way that like, oh, clearly you're thinking about Tarantino because Tarantino is attempting to do the same thing in many aspects, but I think you can like remove Tarantino from that, that chain of cause and effect. I mean, it's Wikipedia kind of annoyingly like says that this is basically just a remake of the Harold Pinter play, the dumbwaiter, uh, which is not true. And I need to edit that out of the Wikipedia plots, (laughs) like Wikipedia page, because it's not true. Um, But I think, I, I, I think the lineage this is in, isn't um isn't so much godard it is it is it is more of a theatrical lineage this it is kind of it is kind of rooted in absurdism as as a mode like obviously i think i think the the citation of the dumbwaiter but wouldn't you say that godard is also rooted in no 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 absurdism you don't think in in some aspects no not at all not not at all i i don't why do you Maybe like La Chinoise. I think there's an. I Maybe think there's like an La Okay, okay. What I'm gonna say is, I think there's an essence of uh, uh narr- structurally in terms of narrative, where characters in this film aren't necessarily aware that they are in a film, but they are acting in a certain way because they understand the the, the like narrative um, cliches of yes of movies of cinematic storytelling, and I'm thinking of like at the end of the film when the the um the hotel owner is saying like you guys should just put your guns down and leave and and ray finds it's like 
this is the fucking shootout. You can't just walk away. And I, I think yeah. it's something like breathless. It's like that Godard also understands that is like these characters are playing out a movie, even though they're not necessarily aware that they're in a movie. It's not going so far in that postmodern sense to break the fourth yeah. wall as he does in other, as Godard <laughs> does in other films, but it is sharing in that, that more subtle, like Brechtian technique. But when I, when I, when I'm saying this is, it, it's when I'm saying this is like, rooted in assertism i'm I'm literally talking like pinter and i'm talking like beckett and i'm talking like to a bit of a degree ionesco but really mostly pinter um i mean there is obviously like a godot-esque energy to this movie in that they're in a place and they're waiting for someone to show up and for the first half of the movie he doesn't show up right but but it is almost this this very existentialist sense of like well, we live our lives by codes and we we have to live our lives by these codes, even if those codes are somewhat meaningless. And you've got these three men at the crux of this story, two of whom are living their lives by these very rigid codes that they almost don't fully understand. And then <laughs> Ray, who isn't and is just yeah. adrift in this like sea of chaos and is grasping for like a lifeline that he can live like that like can us restore meaning to the chaos that is life and weirdly what he seems to reach for is catholicism um in in a very interesting fashion i find all that stuff captivating in this movie it's the fact that it's also like a tarantino crime thriller that kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit I still really like this movie. Connor, do you still like this movie? You seem hotter in this movie than I am. I I, I liked it a lot more than I anticipated I was going to. Same. My I still... Same. Okay. I actually I was... really... I enjoyed it a lot while yeah. I was watching it. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know it's... if I like that you enjoyed it, but <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> um... It's the most interesting talky crime film of the 15 years following Pulp Fiction. And I think it yeah. is also better than Pulp Fiction. I didn't think it was going to be so funny. Like, there's just like a lot of comedy. And again, yeah. I went into this not even yes. like looking at the Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, this is silly. This film it's is a bit really is a bit silly. And then it gets gory. And I'm like, what am I watching right now? Have, you have seen three books. I think this, can I say like, I think the stuff of it that is so off-putting, I think what yeah. ends up working is that the film like, the film like undoes what makes that off-putting crassness funny later in its runtime and then because of that the joke like explodes into something that's more elementally funny because mm -hmm. it's undoing itself as it as it progresses i think of like you know him punching the woman in the face and being like that's for john john lennon <laughs> I don't know if I can repeat That's... that. And then later in the film, it's like you learn it's that they're not even American. In every episode, Canadian. Connor, yeah. say the word "cunt." Say the word "cunt." I, right I just now. don't want to. I just I don't feel. It's I don't feel like I want to right now. Listeners, listeners, I want to clarify. There's one reason that we put that word in the intro to this podcast, and it's because Connor wanted that line in the intro. Connor was very insistent that that line make it into the intro. And I was like, fine. I'm, I, let's go. I, I wasn't insistent. You were so I was not insistent. I proposed um, a different quote from this movie and you said, no, no, you, you didn't. It. You said, yeah, this I did. One. No, What'd I said, I was like, 
And one normal, be- one gay beer from my gay oh, friend. Oh yeah, I said no. We're not, putting, we're not putting gay beer in the in the intro, even though it is a. I can say it. It's a good line. Um, well, that line's that line's funny because the punchline to that is like an hour later, Colin walks into a bar and orders a gay beer. Yeah. Right, like that. That he is kind of won over by brews, right? That like, and I am allergic to beer. So it's extra funny to me. Yeah. The 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 push pull tension of of how much Ray likes Bruges in this movie is such an interesting idea because he, he's attracted to something. And it's seemingly this idea that like, oh, tourist traps are full of assholes. Right? That like yeah. once he realizes, once he like clocks who keeps a city like Bruges running and it's drug dealers and thieves and like other people like him, he's more comfortable there. He doesn't like being the customer in a way, you know? Can I go a step further? I think there's an essence to him where when he's in London, this more developed metropolitan city, yeah, he's, a small fish in a large pond. But when he's in the city like Bruges and the biggest criminals are like this skinhead guy who can't even pull off the robbery correctly, he all of a sudden becomes a very large fish in this small pond. Yeah, he's he's big shit. He's not dealing with people who run like organized crime networks in Bruges. He's only dealing with people who specialize in like ripping off tourists and (laughs) selling drugs to foreign film industries that are coming to, to shoot there. Uh, Clemence Posey thinks he's the hottest man she's ever seen in her life. Like the top four of this cast have all been in uh, Harry Potter films. This, this is a true. Harry Potter reunion. It was. This is it was like true. Yeah. Everywhere you look. Yeah, I keep forgetting that we're going to have to talk about a Harry Potter movie. Oh yeah. I've never seen it. I've fully it's... never seen it. I remember... didn't miss much. And I'll I'm... just say I remember this one not being. I remember this one being fun and then the next one being like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> why did we uh, remove why did why did we remove the track? Like there's not even we're, we're we haven't left the track, like there's no more track. We're not even setting out on it anymore. Yeah, I I I, ne- I never saw that movie and no desire to see that movie. And like a a contentious opinion that I hold and I am fine holding is that the David Yates Harry Potter movies are really fucking good. Uh, I have watched them recently. Uh, those movies are beautiful. I give that to you. Yeah. Uh, Maya, have you heard Cole's take about, um, is it the Half-Blood Prince? Half-Blood Prince is like yeah. maybe the most beautiful movie of like the 21st century. Wow. It's certainly up there. If we're talking blockbusters, have you seen Half-Blood Prince? I think, you're, I oh, think yeah. your exact quote is that visually it's the most influential movie of your lifetime. Is what you said. I didn't say influential. I maybe said like sumptuous. Um, I think you said influential. I never, I would not say influential because no movie looks like that. That movie was shot by Bruno Delbanel, who shot Amelie and Inside Lewin Davis uh, and a bunch of other beautiful looking movies. Uh, and that's just him just throwing every like perfume ad idea he's <laughs> ever had on screen. Uh, Connor, you know who shot in Bruges? I know you do because you put this in the dossier. Um, yes, but I don't. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, uh, wow, I do not know. How I to go this guy's name. Riled. I Riled. so apologize. I say He's Riled. Danish. Yeah. Uh, well, more importantly, you know what else he shot? Um, Ocean's Eight. 
and a good movie by the way and the wizard of lies and Sorry, not fade away. Ocean's Eight, i love oceans eight it's i'm an good. oceans girl it's good as hell it's got lesbian kate blanchett it's got rihanna uh queen it's got it's got like a top five Anne Hathaway performance in her yes. entire career. That that's that's facts right there. Yeah. yeah. You know what I like about I think Ocean's it might I think my take is that's the second best Oceans film. Uh of 12's film. real good. Yeah, 12 is, in my opinion, the, the, the best. best of the bunch. Oh, that's but insane. Then that's insane. I think You're Oceans 8 is you think Oceans 8 is better two. than eleven? I do because it I <laughs> I really, I really 11. struggle Ocean's with eleven because really the it's most... really good. I can't believe now I'm the you guys are being too nice. Don't you say no, 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 cool, cool. The thing, the thing is, the most fun part about heist movies is that feeling of like I can't believe they pulled it off. Yes, but then they invest so much in the heist in Ocean's Eleven that at the end it's like I can't imagine a way that it's, they wouldn't have pulled it's this off. It's not about the money. I understand it's that. It's about cucking Terry George. It doesn't like, seem like it was a difficult heist to pull off, though, because they invest about, so much into it. It's about the working man emasculating. I mean, they their literally bosses. invest in it. They steal an uh, EMP. <laughs> like, do you do you know what I like about Ocean's Eight though? And the thing I do think it has going for it that the Soderbergh stones. I like that everyone on that team has a job. Yes. Yeah. You know, like they have a specialty in a way that like everyone in the Soderbergh movie, besides like the Chinese guy's name, I can't remember. And Don Cheadle is just like an all purpose con artist and thief. Yeah. But Ocean's 8 is like, we need a fence. We need a pick up pocket. We need a hacker. We need an inside woman. Everyone gets like a cool thing to do during the heist. Mm-hmm. They all look amazing. Like that movie rules. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the new one's going to part Aquafina, but you know mm, yeah 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 who wins we, some, were, lose some. we had aquafina fever in 2018 we did some people culture. still have it and i don't I, understand do they yes do they it's they keep shang, putting her in stuff yeah but i think this is because she's famous like i think shang chi like killed audiences desires to see aquafina and stuff i could see that which is what what she been for in, it. what has she been cast in recently in she little was mermaid. just in the little mermaid Oh, I didn't see Remember that. when they remade The Little Mermaid? <laughs> what? What? She's. The I'm assuming that she's has a voice. Already been forgotten. I'm assuming she's a voice in it. Yeah. She's scuttlebutt. She's scuttle. She's scuttle. She's okay. scuttle. She does uh, a rap, of course, because oh. she had to. Like, oh, I listeners, I I did not see the Rob Marshall Little Mermaid remake. Uh, I just could not bring myself to do that, even though Javier Bardem played King Triton, which is actually really good casting. He was great. I enjoyed it. But did? also okay. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm a child of the 90s. Like Little Mermaid was my jam. I had to watch this one. That's why I don't want to watch it though, is because I'm gonna sit there being like, they did this better for like five dollars in like a back closet somewhere. I think well, it will make you realize like, how I've absurd been... it is as a story, also. It was like oh, it's, yeah, Little, Little Mermaid is unhinged storytelling and seeing it with real people makes you realize like this film is crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Been disappointed uh, by every every live action remake of ones from our childhood. So uh, I just have no. I mean, well, Mulan. I was like excited of the idea of what they could do with it, and just like let down almost every step along the way while watching there's, that film. There's a world 
where Jet Li is in a Milan movie, but it is like paid for by the Chinese Communist Party and like Sweetheart directed it and it's real good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like... that's what I'm telling you. It's like there, there's a world where you're basically watching Crouching, Crouching Tiger, except it's Mulan, yeah. you know, um, which is not what we got. I really um, like the Ken Branagh Cinderella. Because that's Blanchett's the in it. best of the bunch, but also that it's kind not, of it's not the best of the probably... bunch. Connor, we're gonna talk about the best of the bunch. Oh, oh I haven't seen. I've it. said yeah. this many times. It's good. Yeah. It's a really good movie. But also, 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 uh, Cinderella and um, uh, Sleeping Beauty are not from our childhood. This is like, true. And Lion is, King, Lion and King, neither and is Dumbo and um, The Little Mermaid. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing that cinderella and dumbo have going for them is that they aren't actually remakes so much as they are i mean they're they're remakes obviously but they're not bound to the iconography or the songs of the originals they're Mm -hmm. new takes on the story yeah um so like the live action cinderella remake is just a cinderella movie you know they've been dozens of cinderella movies yeah and connor you've never seen dumbo no, not Maya, well, I've seen the cartoon Dumbo. But yeah, the Tim Burton Dumbo. Maya, did you see Dumbo? I did not see the new Dumbo. That movie is Buck Wild. The villain in that movie is Walt Disney. As he that, should that, be. That movie is about the construction of Disneyland. <laughs> is he played by Tom Hanks? He is played by... Uh, Wouldn't that be amazing? No, he is played by Michael Keaton. Even oh, better. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Batman. That movie okay. has no bearing on the plot of Dumbo besides the idea of there's a flying donkey elephant oh my god i am tired there's a okay yeah i was about to say we got here by talking about aquafina so let's turn back around maya oh no this is no this is what i was gonna say the guy who shot this movie shot deep water which is a good fucking movie connor i should have just said it instead of trying to to not say it because we would have just moved on faster than water rules maya have you seen deep water I have not. No, you don't. Yeah, watch Deep Water. Yeah. It's so good. It's I'm, real I'm fucking. I'm taking good. notes as we talk, and I'm just like things I need to watch after. Do you rightly think that there's not enough sex in the mainstream American cinema? Oh, good God! What an interesting question. Um, I think there's not enough depictions of accurate sex. They think they attempt to put okay, a lot of sex. Deep Water. Deep Water is not going to scratch that itch for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Is it terrible? It's I'm like still writing it's, it down. it's like Ana de Armas. Giving oh, Jacob Elordi a hand job while he's driving a Bentley. It's does that it happen? Is, cool? is an, am I am is, I remembering that, that is correctly? a thing that happens in that? Yeah. Movie. Is that the one where there's someone like kills her boyfriend, fiance, something? Someone ends up dead, and there's a she swimming keeps pool? cheating on Ben Affleck, who's her husband, and he yes. just keeps killing them. Well, maybe it's unclear. He just okay. I I, I remember this trailer. It's a it is a it's 90s, not even a spoiler. It is he's, a nineties ass erotic thriller. Okay. Like with contemporary movie stars. Interesting. Like down like to the being worst by the guy who made Fatal Attraction. Oh yikes! Great okay. Great All right, movie. it's on my Fatal, it's on my list. Regardless. Fatal Attraction rules. Deep Water rules. Adrian Line rules. All right, that's uh, not none of this is important. The, Maya, the official. The what official, is important? <laughs> All of the this is important. The official stance of this podcast <laughs> is that Adrian Line is good and Quentin Tarantino sucks. Um, here, put here. It on a T-shirt. Thank you. My question is, <laughs> have you seen The Banshees of Inishirin? I meant to ask. Came out. ask it's like 20 minutes ago. Um, I'm going to keep disappointing you guys and just that's keep saying no. No, that's I okay. Fine. That's okay. I, I was haven't. just I was just wondering because 
that film is is a very intimate allegorical film about kind of the plight of inter Ireland over the last hundred years. It's um, also very funny. It oh, is, yeah. I, love I don't want to say it's not funny. So it's, this it's definitely his of of his cinematic work. It's definitely his most funny cynical. I want to say. I wouldn't say it's his most funny. There, oh, okay. There's definitely funny elements of it. So like, I don't want it to sound like it's just a downer the entire way through. But it's definitely the one that I think he really stretches farther than in his other films about kind of the the limitless depth that humanity can reach even with good intention along the way yeah that's heavy had you seen three billboards i have seen that okay so this was not your first exposure to mcdonough well what i was going to say is i'm so happy that he made banshees because like (laughs) he finally got back in the right direction of like what he's good at speaking but, about. But three billboards, three billboards is for all that I really do not like that movie. It is of a piece with everything he does. Right? It's a service it but... and it's a dark comedy where the comedy kind of sheds itself away over the course of the runtime as the like the violence grows and grows. Mm-hmm. And it's got this like pointedly ambiguous ending. Uh, where you're not really sure where you're supposed to go. I like with the everything. I I genuinely like the the like last two shots of the film. I think could be its own short film in a way. Okay, maybe okay, like the last. Yeah. I think maybe like the last three minutes could be a really good short film if separated from the preceding uh, two hours. I think it's a very good ending appended to a better and more cynical movie. Yeah. But what I so I don't think that Three Billboards is not of a piece with his other work, but I think the Banshees of Inisherin is the first one where he doesn't seem afraid of his of his uh, theatrical stage work that he had done yes. before becoming a, a film director, and I think it's it's the first one where maybe he did maybe up until that point he had hated the idea of stage work so much that he did whatever he could to stray away from it, but I think it's the first one where he. He kind of understood like I was I was nearing something on the stage and maybe I'll return to that on the screen. Hmm. And I think that's what he's Let me... and I I, th- I think that's his best film. I don't really think that's yeah. a hot take to have. Um, I think this one's got uh, just has a legacy to it. That's the it only reason why I would think it's a hot take is just that this one is kind of a you know, a, mo- a moment in time and is as the breakthrough, the breakthrough is always going to have that kind of culture to it. I could see Banshees aging into the easy consensus one. It's insane that that movie didn't win a single Academy Award. I think that's a film that I think that's a film that that desperately benefits from rewatch. It's, as well. Yes, it, yeah. it grows that that one sits with you and like. If I'm right and Barry Kean is going to have a long and fruitful career in this business, which I, I see think that he for is, him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's that's a linchpin movie for Barry Kean, you yes. know, and that's yeah. going to help it grow. And, you know, I've said I think Colin Farrell is going to win an Academy Award at some point, and that is his first nomination. 
so like yeah like it's gonna it's gonna have legs like this has legs uh it's so, not gonna be seven psychopaths a movie that no one has seen well so it does not my, exist my i'm so curious about this because i i haven't spoken about this film with somebody who hasn't seen it up to this point so having so watching in bruce this morning or last night and this morning after having kind of done the whole three billboards thing five or six years ago was it kind of was the sincerity of the film when it does show itself in that light like surprising to you as the viewer in that sense or were you not really like thinking about mcdonough's other work on on that other film i don't think i was thinking too closely about his other films i think for me with in bruges is like when it started, it felt a lot heavier than how it ended. And it still ended heavy. Like this is yeah. a movie with really heavy elements. But like I said, it just like kept peeling itself back. And I'm like, this movie is really funny. They're like calling back all these jokes that they made in the beginning. And it felt not lighter, but a bit lighter than Billboard. Did it feel <laughs> it is definitely <laughs> interestingly, I think it is lighter than Billboards, but also because billboards is so callous about so much stuff i I think this movie is ends up being way more profound yeah and i think you mentioned this a bit where you're like it's these guys who live by this code and they are really real serious about killing a kid like they're like you kill a kid you gotta die like like well (laughs) yeah but 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 okay but maya if you kill a kid like i i understand but it's to me, I'm like, that's so funny that you have hitmen, but they're like, we're hitmen with morals, you know, like we have lines and we have but standards. The thing that's that so funny to me is that Colin seems so like when he talks about how it was his first try and now he's got to go like spend the rest of it. Well, like when uh, when when uh, Ken is sending him off on the train at the end of the film and he's mm-hmm. basically like, I fucked up the first one and now I got to go live like in exile in Europe. It seems like he was so excited to like have the opportunity. Like he was just, like waiting for his chance to play in the NBA and then he like airballed a free throw and then it was like sent down the G he's League. Like, it's like never it. coming back up. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's that's the trick of it, right? Like that's the trick of this movie. Like I think... Like weirdly, the most beautiful moment in this movie is when he's on the date with Clemence Posey, and she's like, "What do you do?" And he's like, "I shoot, ki- I shoot people for money." What do you do? I sell cocaine and heroin. Yeah. And they're they're so like happy to be in the presence of someone else like that because, yes, Connor, I do think he is in fact excited to keep killing people for a absolutely living because he's good at it and like. Why not be good at something? <laughs> you know, the, the problem is, is that, well, it, it's never as clean as that, but Ken's made it work, right? Yeah. Like he's he's looking at the shadow of Ken and Ken might not enjoy doing it to the same degree. Like I don't get that read on Ken. It's clear that, you know, Ken is mostly operating off this fierce loyalty to Harry. Yes, he seems, uh, he, he seems to be operating and, he, off the sense that he's like repaying a debt to Harry that he can never know. fully repay, right? Yeah, like that. That that's what really their final comfort conversations about. And that's my point is like, you've got you've got these three men. Harry has his codes. We don't get much super outlined, but it seems to be do what you're told, do what you say you're gonna do. Don't kill kids. Ken 
feels debts to people. He feels a debt to Harry because Harry did something monumental to him. And he feels a debt to Ray because he is a father to Ray. Mm -hmm. And he feels like he needs to act on those debts. And then Ray wants a structure, right? And he's looking for that. And he's kind of fallen in under these two men. But, But even then, like Harry and Ken's codes aren't, actually compatible that's the tension of the third act of the movie right yeah is it's easy and that's what this movie's about because like the cinematic hitman is someone who lives by a code right that's the, the 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 romance of the profession as it's put on screen is this idea that like the hitman has rules and they live their life that way and you know on the most extreme end of that is something like the samurai where he's this like pure aesthetic never you know, who does not have a life beyond it, but like or Ghost Dog, or Ghost Dog. Well, Ghost Dog is just yeah. a bad remake of the Samurai. <laughs> uh, wow! Ghost, uh, not, wow! I, I loved, I loved good Jim. Movie. I don't good movie. Ghost Dog's kind of boring. I'm sorry. Oh my god! It's no Patterson. Yeah, but uh, shot in Jersey City. Yeah, Ghost, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, it's a great Jersey movie. Right. Well, you just said fucking Patterson. Patterson. <laughs> um. But I think this movie is so much about that idea of like, well, what does it mean to have a code when you kill people for money, right? Because that's such a brazen, grotesque, amoral way to make a living that we valorized and romanticized on screen in so many ways. Even if it's a negative romanticization, right? Even if it's the like, the villainous hitman, like in fucking, um, you two seen Blow Up, I assume. Yeah. Blow out, blow John out, Lithgow. blow out in Lithgow and blow out where he's yeah. like, he's terrifying. But what's terrifying about him is that he's so good at his job. Well, you guys aren't that good at their jobs. Right. And like a real hitman wouldn't be that good at their jobs. They're just a thug. Yeah, yeah. I think what I also find interesting about this, that kind of steps away from other prior depictions, especially in the sense of, the hitman having a samurai code, which is cliche to this point from all the films that we've mentioned and and more that have been made is that those films tend to portray these hitmen as either one, not having not only a private life, but like not, not being capable of private existence off in scenes that take place outside of their role as hitman Mm -hmm. or two, having a private life that's so antiseptic to the regular messiness of like human functionality. And then in this one, you have like Colin gets home from the pub and he takes his contacts out and puts his glasses on and starts brushing his teeth right away, which is just like something that you just do not see in action thrillers in any sense while they're having like a conversation about if they're going to spend their time sightseeing museums and sightseeing like antique churches or and or if they're gonna try to do other other things with their day um that's just not that's just not something that you see on screen ever really that's the that's the thing that's the thing that tethers it most to tarantino because tarantino does that in pulp fiction and he does that in some sense in reservoir dogs and jack but it's again it's just a different Energy. I agree. I agree. With you. It, it's a different yeah. energy, even if it often ends in the same place, which is characters saying incredibly shocking things to kind of lend the movie some credibility. I will say, in a very like 
oh god just having like a flashback to a moment in time uh, when I pulled my DVD off the shelf to watch this, because I haven't upgraded to the 4K yet, um, the, the pull quote on the back of this movie, which is such a, you would never see this on a disc today. The pull quote on the back of the movie said, refreshingly on PC. And I was yeah, like, well, yeah. but yes, but. That's what it is. That's what it is. But that's a marketing technique. Well, right? that's my other question to Maya is, does yeah. it feel dated? Does this feel like 2008 when you watch it? It does. I feel it feels like you couldn't make it today in its exact form. Um, I don't know if it feels so much like 2000. I think it feels a little earlier, honestly. I feel like it feels like 2005, 2006 ish, which is significantly earlier in time. But I don't know. Whenever I think 2008, I think Mamma Mia. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, obviously, the year that movies broke, 2008. 2000, something that actually factors into this movie, 2008 being the year that movies broke. This is actually one of the movies that that fits in there. Oh, really? I think so. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that at the end. Yeah. Uh, I know, obviously, we're in the middle of this, like, incredibly irritating, like, anti-woke hysteria that keeps that keeps popping off. And, like, obviously, yeah. there is there is money to be made in doing shit like that. But it is a completely different form of, like commercialization of transgressiveness I than think what we're you still... had still in the 2000s where Colin Farrell slang, saying the R slur multiple times gave your yeah. movie like a cultural cachet. I think it's one of those things it. where coming from our our perspective right now we are years into kind of the post-Trumpism of his initial campaign and yeah. we've been kind of dealing with these discussions in a hyperactive sense for for years at a time but that hyperactivity is still there like the the intensity of the discourse is still alive even if people have maybe more hardened into certain opinions after this like shuffle reconfiguration that we had in from 2016 through 2019 it's kind of a wonder to think about because I just cannot remember like I just cannot remember what this film felt like when it seemed like progress was being made every day like a step forward was happening every day I mean you kind of understand what I'm I can I can tell you what it felt like it just felt like a very 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 good example of the form right like I don't think I think everything that and again maybe this is the 15 year old white boy who saw this movie for the first time speaking but it really does feel like everything that we today can identify in this movie as being like grass and gauche just d- did not stand out and if it did stand out it kind of stood out in a good way because well, it gave it, it like an edge also also just like what i the forgot about way. this film because i remember some of those i remember some of these quotes that that we've already mentioned what i've forgotten about this film where as opposed to what tarantino had also done in the 90s was kind of depict certain dialogue because in a sense he was right in a sense he he was depicting like a slice of life in which certain words are said without thinking and that is kind of truthful to like the world that he was trying to create in his films, regardless of how you feel about those films politically. What I forgot about this one is like, 
there is that initial thrill of I can't believe they're saying these things. That's almost like, like I said, later in the film, recontextualized and undone and made almost pathetic by the mental, the mental status of where um, Ray is at this point in his life in this movie. Yeah. specifically like in these days where where ray is and and the things that he's dealing with which is a lot more than you know as it as it becomes shown like he he is he is struggling with this this act that he had done to such an extreme extent that like almost the second he gets a gun he's like i can kill myself with this thing mm-hmm. yeah you know yes all right um i think we've been going for more than an hour which means it is now finally time to like <laughs> Lay down the groundwork for this movie. I'm just making that our bit now. Um, I don't so, know if yeah. we can't get better. You know, <laughs> we're never gonna get better. Yeah. We're just gonna keep doing it. Um, why is Will Smith trending on Twitter? Uh-uh. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh no, it's it's is good. it the it's athlete the... Will Smith or the because that was no, happening the other day? It's it's once again the rumors bubbling up that Will and Martin aren't shooting bad boys because they don't want to cross. They don't want to shoot during the strike. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. Will Smith never done anything wrong ever. Um stand by it. Stand by it. Uh let me just pull up the internet movie database so I can get a cast list here. That is right. This week we are talking about shockingly in Bruges. As if I uh, didn't give you a cast list. Yeah, but I forgot like, it. It's faster like to pull months this up. ago. Okay, fine. I will pull that. Uh, no, just again, go off. I'm... Just go off the one that you're going. No, off. now I closed that window. Oh so fuck you. You actually never sent me the Inverse dossier. Yes, I. No, Drama. you just sent me the folder for all the dossiers. Yeah, it's it's in yeah. there. Yeah, it's in there. I know. Okay, uh, 2008 film in Bruges, written and directed by Martin McDonough, uh, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Ray Fiennes, Clement Posey, uh, Jordan Prentice, Stekla Rutan. Like maybe the best performance of this movie. Uh Jeremy Renier, uh the fucking homie Jalko Evanek, and an uncredited cameo in Kieran Hines. Uh, as Connor mentioned uh at the start, this is the third and last Kieran Hines movie uh we're discussing on this season. Although weirdly, like I think every single name we've thrown out for season two is going to involve talking about a Kieran Hines movie. Oh probably. I like truly. I was looking but, at his filmography. But will we talk scene. about Dominic Lombardo? Oh, we we would. There, there is somebody that we there, there is. Anybody. But like yeah. literally everyone we floated has worked with Kieran Hines at one point or another. I mean, he's, he's just a great, that kind of an he, actor. He's that guy. He's uh, we did. I didn't say it about uh, Miami Vice because we were probably just talking too fast and we moved on <laughs> too quickly. But something that I always think about him in Miami Vice is how similar his delivery is to Pacino and other Michael Mann films and like how he's just capable of that. But always, like it turns into a CGI monster in Justice yeah. League and doesn't really seem to get his fair shake at, at doing those those types of things. It's so it's so funny that he uh they gave him like the ugliest CGI in the world in Justice League and then they made it worse in <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh yeah, uh just the best. Um and that's right, listeners, we are gonna be doing Gal Gadot uh next season. Uh so look out for two different episodes on Justice League. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to insist on it. No. Um, yeah. Kieran Hines, just like, 
I don't know why he's cameoing in this movie. He's like not quite famous enough to be a sensible cameo, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no. I, uh, but I he is a great death, right? Like all he's asked to do in this movie is die, and he dies real good. Um, he also has he also has a certain mischievousness behind his eyes that's like it's yeah. not like I feel like in a in a lesser film he would have killed a very stereotypical Peter Possibly Irish priest of kind sure. of like I mean I wouldn't the, have complained no but but the kind of well I'm thinking of like him and Romeo and Juliet that kind of priest of like the gentle man of the people with Kieran Hines in this role performances in you're movie. kind of immediately questioning like what is this guy up to behind the yes. veil being well placed. this yeah and I like that because I think key to this movie working is this idea that the priest probably deserved to get shot. Yeah. You know, that like that Colin says, Harry water says his hellos, like just as I, and just everything about Heinz's performance, wordless performance. No, he actually is a a line. line. Yeah. Yeah. Line or two. But like this very, the brief moments you get of Kieran Hines on screen, it does read to me that this priest is involved in organized crime some way. And I'm not supposed to be upset that he's killing a priest. Like I am that he's killing a kid. I mean, am I out of pocket by saying that it's possible due to the attitude specifically that McDonough holds towards the Irish church that this priest, and because of the way that the Harry character acts that this priest may be being killed because of transgressions made towards other children in the church, which is what makes That is what his brother's movie Calvary is about. Yeah, but I'm saying like, I I don't think that's out of pocket to, to gesture. And I think it makes the the death of the child like yes uh, again more impactful when i say like why shouldn't harry why shouldn't ray be good at killing people i think that implicit to ray's understanding of being a hitman is that he is killing bad people he's making the world better that like that like harry harry is not the sort of person who's going to have like an innocent whacked which is also my read i get of harry right that like he's not having these guys kill like witnesses right he's having them kill rivals yeah and that's why it's all fine and good until the kid dies and it's like you can't really tell there's no understanding of what kind of criminal enterprises they're up to and everything you hear about them is like harry was able to catch the guy that murdered ken's wife and it's it's things of of that nature yeah Yeah, catch and kill the guy who murdered ken's wife and it's things of that nature of like in their in their quiet suburban existence we keep talking about this code that they live and it's like we understand that outside the context of what we were given in the film there are nefarious things going on and they are probably not actually just going out vigilante in a vigilante style killing people who deserve to be killed but the way that they speak of this world that they live in it's it's only spoken about in terms of honorable things that need to be done or have to be done and have been done yeah it's the the purgatory analogy right yeah like this is this is a much more catholic film than i had really remembered probably the most catholic film we've talked about since daredevil uh, which is not a very catholic if you even want to yeah i'm joking i'm joking um much more so than banshees which is a movie that 
kind of just takes the like cultural Catholicism of uh, Ireland as part of its general like assaults on like small minded gossipy Irish culture. Right. It's not it's not interested in the ideas the way this one is. But uh, let me let me just run through the plot. Real quick, just so we're all grounded. Any listeners of this podcast somehow hasn't seen In Bruges, um, which would blow my mind because, again, I think it is capital T H E the Colin Farrell movie. Um, all right, let me let me restate. I think when you see what Colin Farrell looks like in In Bruges, that is the image that I have of Colin Farrell in my head at all times. Yes. Not necessarily yeah. wearing the wardrobe that he wears in this film, but that is how I remember Colin Farrell yes. looking. Whenever that I era of Colin pin, Farrell. Pin that because that's where I want to come right back after this. Okay. In Bruges. Colin Farrell plays Ray, a young up-and-coming hitman who in an assassination attempt on a priest, accidentally shoots and kills a small child. He and his mentor, Ken, played by Brendan Gleeson, are then sent to the Belgian tourist city of Bruges to hide out and wait for the heat to go down. The two spend a few days puttering around Bruges. Ken is kind of enthralled by the cultural and history of the area, while Ray hates all that stuff and only really awakens when he kind of walks into the nightlife, beginning a relationship with a drug dealer played by Kamas Posey and befriending a little person, American actor shooting a film in the city. Um, after several days of just light hijinks, uh, the crime Lord they work for Harry played by Ray Fiennes uh, contacts Ken and tells Ken that in fact, they are not hiding out that he has sent the two of them there for Ken to kill Ray because for Harry killing a child is an unforgivable act. Well, he uh, sent them there because he wanted, because, because yeah, yes. Harry loves Bruges and he wanted and Ray to have Bruges. one last good memory good memories. before Ken kills him. Realizing, yeah. realizing that Ray is despondent over this child's death. Ken cannot go through with the killing and instead sends him out of town. Harry then comes to Bruges to enact his revenge on Ken for this. The two of them not realizing that Ray has gotten arrested on his way out of town and just makes his way back to Bruges anyway. Uh, Ken and Ray cannot bring themselves, Ken and Harry cannot bring themselves to kill each other uh, until they both realize that Ray is back in town, at which point Harry shoots Ken in the neck. Ken throws himself off a watchtower to buy time to warn Ray. Ray and Harry get into a shootout during which Harry kills the little person who is dressed as a schoolboy for the shoot, believing that he has killed a child. Harry then shoots himself in the head and Ray is left wounded, maybe bleeding out and unsure if he is going to live or die in Bruges. And that is the plot of the film in Bruges. Um, I want to talk about how Colin Farrell looks in this movie because I actually think about how he looks in this movie is important to why this movie is so, so key to his career, because as we've like mentioned on, I think every goddamn episode on this podcast so far, like this is the turning point of his career. And it's often talked about as like the start of a comeback but I don't think that's what it is because as you will see for like the next 12 weeks, uh, he doesn't really get great roles off. He doesn't really movie. capitalize on it. He doesn't really capitalize yeah. off this movie, but what this is, is really the first time he is like universally taken seriously. And I think part of that is, is that, you know, 
obviously this is the second post rehab movie, but like I said on Cassandra's dream last week, Cassandra's dream comes out and does no business. Doesn't right? exist. Nobody sees it. And this movie comes out right after it. So functionally we're in the same spot we were last week where Colin Farrell has been off the movie screen for over a year and a half. And he comes back with this role and he's gone through rehab and he's visibly aged, right? Like he is starting to shake the young, sexy, pretty boy stuff. He's starting to get wrinkles. You can kind of see the weight of all the partying in his twenties, even though he's only like 31 when they shoot this movie, he looks older than he did when we were used to seeing him. And I think that, helps him get taken seriously as a performer that he's not like the hottest man in the world anymore, even though he's still hot, really fuck, still but not, hot. In, not in that like young, pretty boy way. You know no, what I'm saying? It's a, yeah. it's a sophisticated hotness. It's a sophisticated like, hotness. Yeah. He's wearing the eyebrows really well. Mm-hmm. The hair's he's not so as floppy looking. anymore. Like it's no, like a the, cleaner. Yeah. Yes. And I think contrasting that with how childish he is in the performance, like, you know, we've we've said, Connor, that there have been performances throughout and even performances in big movies that he's given that we think are really, really fucking good, right? And I think the two we both circle back to are New World and Miami Vice. Yeah. But the thing about those performances is that they're so insular and they're so quiet. And then, then these movies that are so abstracted that, like, I I get people ignoring those performances. He's giving himself in those films to like two of the most yeah. maniacal auteurs in of I guess in the history of American film and like in a sense he is allowing himself to be muted because he's giving him away himself away yes. to these hyper visual um, like- storytellers. We and I'm not saying we the three of us, I'm saying we the culture. I actually don't do this try not to we, we like her acting big you know and he's not a big actor but this is a movie where he gets like juicy monologues and witty repartee and all this like great material to work with and even if i do think he is giving as like subtle a performance as in anything else it's easier to clock that he's acting in this mm-hmm. as opposed to just being hot on screen yeah also mcdonough seems to be the first guy the first guy that's like i can use these eyebrows eyebrows. (laughs) and he like lets him use his eyebrows which becomes the key colin farrell secret weapon for his acting career from this point on and it's like every director beforehand has has kind of strayed away from letting him i i love the shot in such a way when he's like insulted the americans and Gleason's like, what, what, what's going yeah. on with those guys? And Colin just like gives the most exaggerated cartoonish shrug, and his mouth like gets all the way down to his chin. Um, and there's like, you, you, you clock that as a performance in the way that you don't. Have you seen Miami Vice? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That that's just like a pure Zen vibes existing. This reads as acting. The, oh, yeah. yeah, Miami Vice is the him looking out the window, just staring off at the horizon. We can't to be like, oh, what are we other? Miami no, we Vice, even though it's better than In Bruges. But that's not that's not the essence of what In Bruges is attempting to do. 
Yeah. Is what you're saying. He's fucking transcendent. No, I'm just saying it's it's yeah. I think because it's so talky, you know, like we we can scan that. It's talky as, as and more work. It's emotional in the sense that he gets the opportunity to cry multiple times throughout this film. Yeah. Um he is bottling things for the opening run stretch of runtime in a way that cinematic protagonists of a film are typically shown bottling things and he allows that emotion to come out later in throughout the film in a way that's mm-hmm. very exaggerated but very at home and to cinema, be clear which is something he hasn't yes. he he wasn't given the opportunity to do in miami voice and only in in only in unorthodox ways given the opportunity to do in the new world yeah to be clear uh, while while I may be denigrating the culture that leads this to be the like oh my god he can really act performance, uh, he's fucking incredible in this thing. Like I like n- I'm not saying he's not incredible in this thing. The I Maya I have an off referenced uh, document where I have written down who I would nominate and give Oscars to in every acting category. Okay, uh, going back to 1930. Oh wow. Uh, okay. The only reason I don't think he's the slam dunk best actor winner this year is because my favorite actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman, gave his best performance in Synecdoche, New York this same year. Like, that's kind of unfair. Connor, do you not like Synecdoche, New York? No, 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 I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, it's just... The scariest film ever made. The scariest (laughs) movie. Have I told you about the one and only time I watched that movie? No. I was convinced, truly, as, as much as I know now, that I'm holding a pen. I knew that when I got up, when I finished that movie, I would get up and go take a piss and piss blood. Oh my God. Now I didn't, I didn't. Right. But like, I knew that that was going to happen. That's the effect that movie had on me. I'm happy. Was that that it was, it was killing me by watching it. Perfect movie. (laughs) The masterpiece. I can't watch it. It freaks me out. Maya. Have What's your relationship to Colin Farrell? Yeah, I forgot to ask that question. I think going into this, I thought I didn't really have one. And I'm still thinking about it now. Like, as I was going through his filmography, I'm like, oh, I think I've seen a decent number of Colin Farrell movies, but I'm never thinking about Colin Farrell on like any given Sunday. You know, I'm never just like, I wonder what Colin's up to. If I see him, I'm like, okay, there's Colin Farrell. Obviously, he's just like one of those guys you think of when you think of american acting but i don't know i just don't feel super connected to colin but i will say my opinion on colin farrell if i was to have an overarching opinion is i think the man should do romantic comedies yes thank you thank you yes i think we all agree colin farrell is so funny and i didn't realize how funny he was and he's not funny in a way where he has to try to be funny and obviously the eyebrows play into it but he's a very good comedic actor and as we previously mentioned he's hot but he's hot in a way that works in romantic comedies and not in a way that it, yes it's not an overbearing 
type of hotness, but he can do serious things too. But I need to see like at least four or five Colin Farrell romantic comedies before I'm I die. I'm happy you're saying this because I died I on can this tell hill you. like the third week of this podcast. You didn't really, die on the hill. Yeah, I was when Justin Stillmaker you. was on. I really died oh, yeah. on the. I really died on the Colin Farrell could yeah. be in romantic comedies. He Which, absolutely could. An yeah. insane thing. I'm going. I'm going to tell you this, Maya. He's literally never done it once. I know. And Which it doesn't make any sense. my mind. Unless London Boulevard is like half a rom-com. Um, uh, I don't, I'm talking I don't think, like a real, like I know, a real oh, oh, rom-com. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever said this on Mike. I think I only texted it to you, Connor, and it might not have been even you I texted it to. But I def had the thought like a few weeks in this podcast that it's a tragedy that like Nora Ephron died too soon to work with a yes. like, mature Colin. Well, it's also yes. just like that the mid-budget, the mid real yeah, the, romantic the, comedy, the real died. yeah. Maya, have I ever floated my my grand theory of film to you? I don't think so, but if you have, I'd love to hear it again. Connor's heard this so many times, but he he knows I'm right. I think it's a um, great take. At its core, the movies are about watching two beautiful people who want to kiss. Yes. Yes, and that's why the rom com is the perfect film genre. Yes. I 100% agree. Yes. If uh, if we could just rewind time and make more of the early 2000s-esque romantic comedies today sure. and they not be terrible. The, well, there's the there's the crux. That yes, that is the caveat. It can't be bad. Like it just has to feel I'm a, I will live and die on the When Harry Met Sally Hill. Uh, I love that movie. I live and die on the You've Got Mail Hill. I'll I'll tell you right um, now which I am just I am absolutely shocked we never got. I'm absolutely shocked we never got the David Beckham story rom com. Not not a true make oh, of David Beckham's shit. life, but no. the but the professional yeah. soccer player and pop star rom com starring Colin I mean, Farrell. I'm absolutely shocked we never got that. I I can it could still happen. It, well, but how old was Beckham when he and Posh got together? They were very young. That's what I thought. I want to say he was like 20. Early 20s. Here's the problem with the rom-com as a genre, as it stands today. We can sit here and we can talk about the death of the mid-budget movie for adults, right? But let's be real. Netflix does pump out a lot of those. Right, like the quality control, but not is at that lower. mid budget that we're talking but about. Like, that's what you're saying. I don't think a lower. good rom com needs to be expensive. The problem with the rom com is the zoomers don't have any charisma. <laughs> we're, we're, we're every it, it's like the entire generation, it was entirely put into Lana Condor and Noah Centineo, and oh they God. made the one rom-com together they made together, which is the last great American film, uh, which is the first to All the Boys I Loved Before. Great movie. Uh, great movie. I really enjoyed that movie. You know what sucks? The sequels. Oh, yeah. They're terrible. The sequels are bad. We had a watch party um, for the first one, and then the other two, we were like, don't even bother. Yeah. The third one. Did you see the third one? Mm-hmm. It's like Connor, did you see the third one? I haven't seen the third one. It's I've like, seen the first two, I think. It is a two hour and fifteen minute NYU recruitment video. <laughs> Damn. It's insane. Do you know what the real problem is? What's the real problem? These Zoomers, these Gen Z humans. Hate them. They weren't ugly in middle school, so they don't they understand how ugly? powerful rom coms are and like what a tool it is for like 
I'll speak from a female perspective for just like the young female gaze to be like, to look at love like that on TV when you're like, oh, I have braces and I'm kind of awkward looking, but look at this. It's beautiful. And they just don't get it. They don't get it. They're all afraid that if they watch actors kiss, it's like a moral failing on the actor's part. None of them have any like zhuzh on screen. You know, like I love Sofia Coppola, but it's a borderline war crime that she's going to make me watch Jacob Elordi pretend to be Elvis. Oh, God. Um, I'm, I'm sure y'all have had a Nepo baby conversation. On yeah, this. this man is out here. Oh, you don't want to hear. You that. don't want to hear my Nepo baby com- take, Maya. I'm sure we have similar feelings about the concept, but is we it, can move I, forward. I don't think we do. Is oh, what I'm saying. oh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. And Both the things Spark it should Notes only version. be Nepo babies. I think it should maybe only should be work. Nepo babies in Hollywood. All Nepo babies? Maybe, why not? Who cares? No, not all Nepo babies were created. Both things we should get rid of SAG, but all actors are <laughs> Nepo babies. And <laughs> no. we just milk them no, dry. My, 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 my actual answer to the question is uh, I don't give a shit about Nepo babies. Okay. Uh, and also no Coppola has ever done anything wrong. Um, I think okay. it's actually I think it's actually fine and good that people want to work in a family business. Absolutely. Uh, the problem is you can't be an artist without money. But that's a different problem i think when people complain about nepo babies they're actually complaining about two about the wrong thing the first is that you can't make art without being rich which i agree with the second one is that you think maya hawk is the reason you're not famous and i'm sorry honey but maya hawk is not the reason you're not famous that's the thing like the nepo baby didn't take your job exactly but that's what they say they say like they're taking people's spots and i'm like no they're not are they if if the job is to be hot, hot people have hot kids. Like, Usually. and also I I do find the whole like carny aspect of Hollywood to be very endearing. And so the idea that it's a family business, I I love that. No, I, love I think that. I think nepotism needs to exist for the world to go around. Yeah. Like, I think the okay, nepo babies need to agree. exist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. We've gotten a lot of great performances from nepo babies, yeah. and some of them are really really talented. I just think sometimes I'm like. Stop giving that specific one work because but they are not good. Are there any ones who aren't good who have real careers? This is my other thing. The ones who suck, like Jack Kilmer. Was last so, time you saw Jack Kilmer on screen? Like careers, as in like who the fuck is Jack Kilmer? Exactly, Val's son. He made a movie with a Coppola. Like once he was um, really bad in it. He's I in. He's in Palo Alto. Scott Kahn's pretty bad. I think he, like Lily Rose Depp now. Okay, like, well, but yeah. Like there's some where I'm just like, okay, like we get it. Like you come from good stock. Honestly, I think yeah, I okay. I don't really get the Margaret quality of everything that she's in. I'm calling the really police. This podcast is over. <laughs> Margaret, uh, she was good oh, in the oh, maze. This is this is my 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 thing is that Margaret Qualley is one of our best living actors, and she only gets to be one of our best living actors because she's insane. And having a famous mom meant that no one ever got to tell her no about anything. So she could just like develop her insanity. Uh, Dakota Johnson, same way, right? Like I love Dakota Johnson. If if Dakota Johnson looked like that, but was bo- was like Sydney Sweeney, was just like born to whoever, like hot people still come from middle America, right? I'm not Absolutely. crazy. Yeah, Dakota yeah. Johnson looked like that, but was born to nobody. She doesn't get that good. She gets that good on screen because she's around famous people her whole Who life. Who get to develop her. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love Dakota Johnson. What Me the too. fuck are you saying about Margaret Qualley? 
What I the just fuck don't get it. I just, did you I see Sanctuary? No, I haven't seen Did Sanctuary. you see Stars at Noon? I have seen Stars at Noon. And you don't I think, think that's, that's like her, the best think, performance anyone's ever given? I think I think that's her best performance. I think that's one of two good performances she's given that I've seen. What are the bad ones? Everything else other than Name them. what she does in The Leftovers. I, I will never watch The Leftovers. What's that one with the nuns? I hate that one. Um, oh, I didn't see that one. Really bad performance yeah, in that movie. Yeah, um, with, uh, I know what you're talking about. I'm sure there's a few others that are coming off the top of my head. The only thing She's I have good to in say, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The only She's thing the I, only good Manson girl performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sorry. I actually don't. I actually don't necessarily agree. I don't think she's that good in that movie. She is. She's fine. I think she gives the third best performance in that movie. I think. I think she actually doesn't do what that movie is asking of the performer in that role to do, which is to okay. be so enticing that you think that Brad Pitt might join the Manson family. <laughs> As he's on okay, see, I don't, I so yeah. don't take that whole sap of that movie seriously. I think you're supposed to, uh, though. Yeah, you're supposed to, but that, that, because he's like a disenfranchised, like possible so bad. murderer that um, I think, I think you're, there's supposed to be this attention the entire time that you, three... because you know where the movie's heading, I think there's supposed to be attention the entire time that you think that Brad Pitt's actually going to become one oh, of them. And no, then it becomes no. thrilling because he's actually like, Kind of such a hard-nosed conservative that it's like, why why would he ever do The that? official position of above the title is that Quentin Tarantino sucks. Um, there are three There are three good performances in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Margaret Crawley is one of them. Julia Butters is another one. Uh, and then Leo is probably giving his best performance in his entire career in that movie. Like, what I'm about Pacino, man? Wow. No, he's not. That's not a good <laughs> performance. Okay, no, but... Um, 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 so my buddy was going to be a camera PA on the Doug Lyman movie that's shooting in New York. My have shut down. I, I don't know if it's still up and running. Wait, what's Lyman shooting that's not the but Tom Cruise space movie that's going to kill Tom Damon's, Cruise? Matt Damon's stepdaughter wanted to be in the camera department, so he actually mm. lost his job to Matt Damon's stepdaughter. That shit kind of sucks, right? That's a different beast. Um, I'm more talking about in front of the camera. And like, I do as a music person like bristle when it bleeds over into music. Like Gracie Abrams was like doing some like started from the bottom. Now we hear shit today. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, come on. And like with, because I do think with music, you actually kind of are taking up someone's spot because music mm-hmm. is so much about an attention economy, not a, not a resource yeah. economy in this modern era. But it's also a sense in film, in movies, I think there's a sense in, yeah. there's a sense in acting where if you're good enough like you'll be able to end up there i don't know how true that but is it's not necessarily true. it's an access thing yeah. it's the lana it's... turner getting discovered at a drugstore counter thing but that's think, a myth but i that's think a... there is i think there is a sense in movies there it's more real i mean sorry i think it's more real in music that yes if you just have if you don't have to work and you can just spend all day long fucking around with a guitar or like a synthesizer in your luxury apartment that yes. your parents are paying for you that like you'll eventually make something that will get radio play Absolutely. and you'll eventually get to tour with somebody as their opening act i'm also gonna say this that there there probably was a period in hollywood where if anyone had like the perseverance and the talents 
And I'm talking about like the 20s and 30s and 40s, right? It probably was a period where you could get off the bus and work your way up to being a star that doesn't oh, exist now. And what that meant was you were getting raped a lot. Like a lot, a lot, Yikes. a lot. Like that's what we're thinking of. But I'm sorry, but am I wrong? No. Like male or female when Hollywood had this like star making machine that it doesn't have now. Like, do you want to go back to those days? Because those days weren't great, right? Like it was more equitable, but at what cost? Oof. I think in some sense, I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry. Those costs are still present, which is sure. But it's not as like factory farms yeah i can't factory walk into farm a studio twinks lot today on bombshells you know like yeah. that's what we were doing back in the day Oof. yeah you know it's not a nepo baby is colin farrell boom but someone who like but his dad was a professional career. soccer player which i i just find to be this is the other thing i roll my eyes at when i'm like people accuse people of being nepo babies and it's like that's not a real no no i'm not thing. saying i'm not saying he's a nepo like, baby i'm I just know. saying like i find it very fascinating that his his like father a, was a professional the, the mara sisters the mara sisters are not nepo babies that's different that that's, is different that's a lot different because they're <laughs> but but they're not it's not nepotism because they're not working in the family business yeah but the, the nfl is the nfl is entertainment it's it's but they're not Working in sports is what I'm saying. Like, if they were working in sports, they're just rich. They're not Nepo babies. They're just rich. Yeah, I just, yeah. Th- I that's got different so mad because I feel that. like if you're. What was it? I Vulture? F- New Yorker. It was New Yorker. Who had the big Nepo baby article back in the back of It's the New Yorker. Yorker. It's the New yeah, Yorker. Yeah, I got so yeah. mad at that thing. Colin Farrell, yeah, famous Nepo baby because his dad was like a mid level Irish soccer player. Was he even a professional soccer player? He was. His his father played for Shamrock Rovers FC. Yeah, but you gotta, Connor, you gotta understand. I'm not saying he's Neville baby. His no, no. dad was like lower middle class as I know, a professional but you, soccer you, player. You gotta yeah. understand that football works differently than other organized sports. That's especially... what I'm saying to you. That's why I'm saying know, that the Morris sisters actually like, it is kind of fucked up because I know. no no no. <laughs> what, what, no I'm saying this, Connor. Anyone can start a soccer team in the UK and in Ireland and in Spain and whatever. Oh yeah. And they're, they have to be considered a competitive team, right? Like we could be living in England. And if we got funding, like if we had like a field that would sponsor us, like in our tiny ass town, you have to pay the dues. And then as long as you pay the dues, but then we're playing Manchester United, right? Like that's that's, not the way it works. (laughs) That is the way it works. No, you have to, you have to win your, no, Cole, you have to win your way into the Premier League to be able to. to but do at that. some point, everyone's going to play everyone at some point, even if it's just an exhibition, even if it's just an sure. exhibition. No, that's not true. Isn't you it? No, that's not true. Doesn't Man U play uh, like exhibition matches against all like the bumfuck teams to generate they, money? They do, but yeah. it's not. It's not like it's not like uh, mandated that they have to play every. Team. Okay, but this yeah. is what I'm saying though. Is like. It's easy to become a professional soccer player, right? Not saying it's yeah. easy to become a good professional soccer player or make money from it, but Confirm's dad being a soccer player beats jack shit. It's like being a, <laughs> a, a single A baseball player in America. You can't just make your own baseball team though. Not in the same way. Not in the same way, but I there are so many minor league baseball. Like there are just so many minor league baseball teams. Yeah, it's kind but of similar if you're if sense. you're going to yeah. play professionally, you have to be sponsored. You have to be in the system. I am saying that with soccer, you can just say you're in the system. <laughs> okay, I get. It. Cool, have you pro- seen semi pro the Wolf no. movie? 
the, oh, the wow. Premier Connor. The Damn. Premier League is not a separate, I understand how the Premier League it's works. It's not called. a separate division. It's just the best teams. Yes, right? no, but they're in no, they're separated in in stratuses or strata. Yes, I get that I they're know. separated in stratuses, yeah. but it's not like the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. But there's no just, inner there's no interleague play in like during but, a season. But no they can sh- I know that, but they can yeah. shift. That's what I'm saying. They shift. Like they're all part of the same league, like broader yeah. league. But the league like you is, could play your way shift up to, is very slow. I know the shift is slow, but I'm saying it's different than American sports. Yes, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. <laughs> We're in agreement. <laughs> Do you remember when this was about a movie about hitmen? Yeah. Have you listened to this podcast ever? I have. I have. <laughs> Maya, have you seen Colin Farrell's earlier films? Any of them? Before um, this one? Besides Miami Vice. Earlier than that, let's see. Let me look at the list. He was in. Um, well, Tigerland is the one that's like canonically his big break. But as Cole and I have learned. We are the only people who have ever seen Tigerland, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, Tigerland made $140,000 at the box office and it had a budget a of like $10 million. <laughs> a total um, hit. He was in you Phone know, Booth, another Michael. Uh, oh another, my gosh. Um, um, I love Phone Booth. Schumacher phone Booth film. Rules, right? Masterpiece. Yeah. Phone Booth. I think I listened to y'all's episode about Phone Booth because it, I'm about to go on a tangent. It reminds me of my yes. other favorite random movie about a phone cellular with chris evans i don't know if anyone has ever seen that movie but it's a I mean, plus that, film but that you know, as the title as the title denotes that is about a cellular but in phone guys, booth is about no, a type of no, film that Connor, actually did not Connor, exist there at Connor, the time of the movie was made but, do you know who wrote cellular oh wait are you gonna i'm blow not my mind right I, did you know this no i didn't maya know did you know this um, I feel like I've looked it up because I have so, a very serious relationship with this movie. We we talked about just for context on the phone booth episode that phone booth was written by legendary exploitation like auteur Larry Cohen from a pitch that he had had since the 60s. Larry Cohen also wrote Cellular. And literally it was that because he was finishing up the phone booth script and he decided to flip it where like <laughs> – Instead of he has to be on the phone and he can't move, it's that she has to be on the phone, but she can move anywhere. She could go everywhere. I swear to God, Larry That's Cohen wrote both those movies. I'm looking at the Wikipedia and it yeah. agrees with you. I know. Yeah, um, I love Cellular. So yes, I've, I've seen, seen Phone it. Booth. I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was in a hotel room in Orlando, Florida. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, what is this movie? And it was right around, it was in the early 2000s. I was too young to be watching it. 10 out of 10 recommend. It's not good, but it's great. Well, it's you probably know? good because it's a David Ellis picture. It's I uh, enjoyed it. David Ellis made the most upsetting movie ever made, which is Final Destination 2. Woo. Scary. We also have Minority Report. Have you seen that, Maya? I have seen my, I saw remember, Minority Report. For- do you remember that Colin Farrell is in Minority Report? No. No one, no yeah, one We've been dealing with that a lot, too. Um Despite being, I guess the third, the fourth lead of of the movie, right? And um, also, probably one of his more notable early films, right? Like, I mean, it was kind of a big deal at that I point believe, in his career. It is the most important film that he's been in. I think up until Fantastic Beasts, it is the highest grossing movie he ever made. I believe. 
Whoa. Obviously, there's not that much competition because it's a huge blockbuster. Yeah. And he didn't really make huge blockbusters, but uh he made a huge, like atrocious flops that just that yeah. ruined careers. That's so <laughs> for, interesting. For he's kind of like a flop king. Like well, this is what yeah, this is what we've been talking about. And really, like, like I said, like this is supposed to be the comeback, but the lobster's the comeback. Like everything's gonna click into place yeah. when he makes the lobster. If you want to talk about him being a flop king, listeners, like Enjoy July through October of this podcast because <laughs> he's um, got one hit and a bunch of movies that no one has seen. Well, here's the deal, Maya. He's in Daredevil, the Seen Ben Affleck Daredevil. Um, before yeah, that, yeah. he was in, he was in this movie called American Outlaws, which he played Jesse James, which is basically like one of the Confederates were the actual American heroes uh, after the Civil War. Yeah, then he's in a he's in a war he's in a like um what how how best to describe it like a World War Two esque a few good men prisoner of war movie called Hearts War with uh Bruce Willis in it um that's about that's a, racism about racism in, in america uh okay he's and in the recruit as well um have you seen the recruits you don't have, have to seen the recruit i don't know i'm like looking these. at the yeah i've definitely you, seen this movie poster i don't know if i've actually seen the film it, al pacino had, had you seen alexander yes i've seen well that's okay. what i'm working I'm up sorry. to i'm very sorry that's what i'm working you've up seen to. alexander he's in swat <laughs> Well, which is like we don't need to run through all the these. silliest movie ever he's Wait, in intermission I've which is an irish SWAT. film that nobody has seen he's in a home at the end of the world which is like like maybe a good. period drama that maybe nobody good. has ever seen maybe good. maybe good then he's in alexander which is by far up to that point the biggest movie he had been in and like one of the biggest movies that anybody has ever been in if we're just talking in terms of like the size of the production and also maybe the biggest flop of the last 20 years yeah. Um, no, not the. I don't know, man. It's a. It's. It's a it good destroyed size Oliver Stone's career. Like, yeah, Oliver Stone Stone destroyed Oliver Stone's career. I know, but don't that's a rough twisted. one. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to call that the biggest flop, I'm just gonna say Dark Phoenix, Solo. Oh shit! Okay, The Dark Flash. Phoenix. It's bigger than Solo. <laughs> it's bigger than Solo. I don't even know what to say about the Flash at this point do, in time. Do you know how much Solo cost? I'm scared. Connor, they shot that, that movie twice. Connor, they shot that movie twice. I don't that's think Solo had the price. like. I don't think Solo the had the same kind of like weight on its shoulders that it literally by the time it came out did because it's okay. We'll yeah. we'll agree to disagree. We'll agree to disagree. Then he's in the New World in Miami Vice and Ask the Dust, and then he goes to rehab, and then he gets out of rehab and. And, and now he's a serious actor that people take seriously. Like yeah. I cannot stress how much like the, the the raves people had for this performance when it came out. I truly think, and this goes, this is how this movie ties into 2008 being the year that broke Hollywood. Because there's a lot of ways that 2008 is the year that broke Hollywood. It's not just a certain accursed John Favreau film, right? There's a lot of things that happen. I mean, there's a certain uh, like before and after moment in Academy Award history. Well, that's no, yeah. that's this movie touches on that because Colin Farrell wins the Golden Globe for best actor in a comedy in 
this movie, which probably is like the real indication that like something goes wrong in the next couple of years if he can't capitalize off of that. Um, he is not nominated for the Oscar. Uh, the Oscar is now obviously the Globes are kind of tricky there because they have that <laughs> comedy drama split, but There's usually ca- categories, yeah. Usually you end up with some sort of blending of those two categories in the Oscars. And instead, what happens this year is four of the people nominated for Best Drama at the Globes get the Oscar nomination. None of the comedy people do. And then the Oscars just slot in a non-nominated performance in the place of the fifth um, Globe nominated performance. So let me pull these. Let me pull these up here. This is not the writer's strike Golden Globes that didn't happen. This is the year after. Um, and I know we can say the Golden Globes like don't matter. Uh, I enjoy the Globes. But like they set the tone of the year, right? They set the tone, but I think, as you're saying, they don't really matter in the sense I'm that the voter, the voter crossover between the Globes and the Academy Awards is non-existent. Yeah. So in the so, sense that they're setting the consensus tone is important, but in the sense yeah. that if you look at the gold, if you're trying to look at the Golden Globes as some kind of telling barometer of where the Academy Awards are going to end up, that's a, a lost cause. So Colin Farrell over in comedy, he beats... Javier Bardem and Vicky Cristina Barcelona, uh, James Franco and Pineapple Express, great nomination. Oh, I love that like, movie. Uh, Gleason in in Bruges, uh, which I think is fair to call them co-leads, um, and then Dustin Hoffman in this rom com called Last Chance Harvey that doesn't exist. Never Over heard. in drama, you have Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, DiCaprio in Revolutionary Road, Langella in Frost Nixon. Pitt and Benjamin Button and Penn in Milk. And then the Oscar nominees are just those guys, but DiCaprio doesn't get in. Weirdly, Richard Jenkins makes it in for the Tom McCarthy film, The Visitor. It's so um, funny ooh. that DiCaprio is the one that's chopped because he's like the one out of that five that I'm like, good performance. And but, the rest uh, of the four, I'm like, what? you can kind of just let okay, slide. Penn? Penn in... Oh, Penn, you're right. Penn in... No, Penn is... I'm not... You, don't say I'm right because you don't know what to say. Pen and milk is like a war crime, right? Like, <laughs> pen and milk is. I agree with you. A yeah. travesty. Pen and milk is like almost as bad as Malik in Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, wow. Pitt is not acting in Benjamin Button. He's scenery. Uh, and I like yeah. Pitt as an actor, but he's not acting in that movie. Langella uh, is probably second best r- behind. R- 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 yeah. That's my Frank Langella. Uh, <laughs> Rourke fucking rules in The Wrestler. What are you talking about? I think was the last fine. time you fucking watched? No. It's an incredible performance. I think he's fine. I think no. it's an incredible direct direction. I think it's an incredible That's, direction. That, that is the performance, though. All performances are incredible direction. You know? Um, I um, agree with you that what's his face is is horrible in milk. Uh, yeah, Sean Penn, his second. Remember Sean Penn, yeah. not an actor I like hate, but clearly has won his two Oscars for his two worst performances. Um, and then the I never other, saw what's Mystic other... River. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Man beats Bill Murray and Mickey Rourke. That that doesn't sit right with me. That's crazy. um. To say nothing of the fact that they didn't nominate Philip Seymour Hoffman um, or that they didn't nominate Colin Farrell. But this is the point I wanted to make is that 
we talk about a lot about this being a seismic break in the Oscars. And when we talk about that, we talk about the 2008 Academy Awards. What we're talking about is this idea that, you know, this is where the tendency, the like Weinstein fallout tendency of the Oscars start rewarding movies that people aren't really watching, like mm-hmm. hits its, you know, absolute apex, right? Until COVID, this is the lowest grossing, both in totals and in averages, the lowest grossing best picture lineup in history. Like oh, since wow. like since like box office stats start getting collated in 1980. What are the five again? It's Frost it's Nixon. Milk, Frost Milk. Nixon, The Reader, Slumdog, which is the relative hit of the bunch because it makes yeah. it 150. And Milk, Reader, Frost Nixon, Slumdog, and I have to look this up. Real quick. It's not Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Button. Button. Benjamin, yeah. it is ben, thank you. It's Benjamin, Benjamin Button. Um, but the other thing that's going on with this year is that it's not just that they're movies. And so people talk about this idea that like the Dark Knight didn't get nominated and Wally didn't get nominated, right? And I think regardless of how you feel about either of those two movies, one of those is a movie I love, one of those movies I kind of hate. Um, I'm not gonna clarify which is which, but Connor knows. <laughs> Um, I think those two movies, it is a fair case to be made that those are the kind of movies that should be getting nominated for Best Picture in a healthy, balanced field because those are critically adored massive blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is fair to make the case that the movies like that, the movies like Avatar, the movies like Top Gun Maverick, the movies like uh something else that fits in that pattern of my brain just froze um that stuff like that should be in the conversation the other thing we forget when we talk about this is that milk benjamin button frost nixon uh the reader slumdog are all really bleak bummer movies right yeah yeah like slumdog's the relative crowd pleaser and that has child music and dancing <laughs> But no, it, it's music still and ends with a guy getting shot. Yeah, yeah. Extended it's... torture scenes. Oh yeah, murders, children getting their eyes gouged out. Right, like, um, this is the like apex of the Oscars getting really like po faced and serious, and like the only real levity in the entire above the line categories is Downey Jr. getting in for Tropic Thunder, and I think. If this and and even then he only gets into Tropic Thunder because Iron Man's undeniable, right? And that's yeah. the easy, more actorly performance to give it to. If this movie comes out like two years earlier and two years later, Colin Farrell gets the best actor nomination. Oh yeah. But the this movie's just too light. And that performance is too funny I for think the year two thousand eight. I think based off the reviews that the film got as well, I think the film has a good chance. At picture at getting a best picture nomination maybe definitely in a 10 because they expand the next year in a 10 this gets in because i i I think it could be one of those films i think it could be one of those films in even in the five where you're looking at an acclaimed an acclaimed theater writer who's making the jump to the big screen you're looking at a, a european film with european actors that is offbeat in a way that most American films like don't necessarily land. Um, I think it, I, I, I not exactly two years before this one, because that's like one of the more difficult years to, to compete in that. And that would, that we've like ever seen. Oh, seven. But, 
Yeah. But uh, I think like if you're looking at in O two and O three, yes, it, it oh, has yeah. a good shot at getting in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth noting this is the third movie we're covering on this podcast that is an Academy Award nominee. Um, Minority Report got a sound editing nomination. New World got a cinematography nomination. This gets an original screenplay nomination. So this is the the first above the line uh, Oscar nominee in the in the in in his career, which I think says how well regarded this movie was. But like. I am just telling you, this movie was well-regarded, but as someone who has memories when this movie came out, people were going gaga over Colin Farrell in this movie and and how funny he is in this Rightfully movie. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I think what people miss is like, you were alluding to this earlier, but like how sad that performance is mm-hmm. at so times and how the comedy is almost like a a defense mechanism there's there's layers to this yeah. guy that i think aren't on the page i think the comedy like i said i think the comedy is revealed to be like pathetic in, in a way yeah yeah i don't what i don't know is i don't think you need all the shock jock humor to get to that no you that's know, I think kind of what i've been yeah. saying yeah. is that it's trying to have its cake and eat it too by having yes. this this crude and crass humor but then poking holes in why it shouldn't land in the way that like we've been taught to accept it by other films like namely Tarantino as we just keep calling out um but yeah this is I mean we've spoken at length in other films about like Colin's ability as an actor to play devastation and uh, yes I think in this film I think there are many points leading up to it where you have to recognize his skill, but I think his ability to pull off the sense that this is a guy that clearly likes to have fun, but cause I, cause so here, here's the thing with, with a, maybe a, like a lesser actor is his, his, his need to have fun while he's in Bruges playing into the suicide attempt that happens like two thirds of the way through the film. I think, with with less complexity in their performance, it'd be hard to to take that at face value and to believe yes. it for what it is. But Colin's ability to like when he's looking at Ken, he's like, I killed a boy, I took a boy, like I took a boy's life. And and you see all of that pain in his face and and you can you can finally see it for what it is that this has just been destroying him, eating him from the inside out since yeah. it happened. Yeah. He's what devastated. I, yeah. But what I like about it is that like the devastation isn't all consuming, you know? Yeah. But which I think is very real that like he remembers it when he doesn't expect he's going to remember it. Mm -hmm. But that also means that he forgets about it sometimes. And he can like, he can, he can go on ignoring it for a bit until then it just bursts back through. And it's like, I think I love, I love when he's talking with Clemence Posey and they're doing the banter about like shooting kids uh, and he has that little like grimace he does at the end where he's like, he doesn't know if he has the right to joke about this. Yeah. Like he's, but he's not saying that to her, right? That's not on the page. That's just a, a note Colin plays on this that doesn't give the audience like an easy way to feel about this guy. Yeah. It's also yeah. him like testing the water. I think you mentioned that yeah. scene earlier. And I'm like, it, in that moment, they're also that like, scene. you can't tell if they're joking with each other or if he's like, can I be serious with you? And then, you know, she yeah. sort of gives 
he's like oh, okay i think i think i might like this person but you can't really tell if she's joking exactly because yeah. we know he's not yeah and i think when she's first presented in the film she's like a pa on this thing that's no. being shot or she's like as someone who's seen this movie a hundred times you think that the first time you see it and then the second time you watch it like she's visibly handing him drugs oh really okay. like she walks on set and she hands him like a bag full of white powder <laughs> but no I, but, but you're right like because the first time i saw that i was like oh she works in the movie and that's what yeah that's what ray thinks when he sees her uh because yeah. why wouldn't you think that andrew saris wrote that she was a prostitute well, Andrew like, Sarris was a, a million. She's a drug dealer, right? Andrew Sarris was a billion years old when he wrote that review. He, I he love got Andrew like, Sarris. He got like every key detail wrong. <laughs> and when does he review. die? I love Andrew Sarris, but like, oh my God, he died in 2012. He he kept cooking. Yeah, he had another four years of reviews. Whoa. Wow. Did you guys know he was married to Molly Haskell? I did not know that. I, didn't I know did that. not know that. Yeah, that's crazy. I uh, love Molly Haskell. Love Andrew Saris. Crazy life that he lived. Yeah, crazy life that he lived. Uh, are you are you guys Sarasites or Kaleites? Saris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. Let's I go. really, I really <laughs> enjoy reading. I really, really enjoy reading Kale. But yeah. when I am reading her reviews, I, I almost disagree with every single one. Yeah, Kale is an there incredible writer who I, was I'm never right movie. about a single film. <laughs> Maya, you I'm gotta, dead. you gotta take in the great feud. I'm, I'm dead. I don't have a take. I don't. I'm like, eh, you know. That's Speaking fine. of Tarantino, my like the the absolute. Um, uh, I felt like I was going to have a stroke when I when I was under the understanding that his next film was going was to be a biopic <laughs> about Polly Kale, and I I was like, I guess I'll have to kill myself now. But from what I, I like, understand, that's not what the film time. is actually about. Yeah. No, it sounds bad. What he's doing sounds bad. <laughs> It's not I that mean, flavor of bad. Um, I don't know. I, wish... I don't know. Clemence Posey is a really interesting actress. Um, I've only ever seen her in English language stuff. Uh, same. And yeah, it's same like universal. So maybe this is the case. This is not the case in like French language stuff that she does. Uh, but her English language career is so obviously like she is just constantly brought in to just be like incredibly beautiful. Um, to be like to be the, the French girl exotic speaking English. Objects. Yeah, exotic yeah. objects is good. I'm, I, I was thinking a lot about this because like that's literally what she does in 127 hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think she even has a line in 127 hours. She just appears in these like reveries. She does it in Harry Potter. She does it in this. She doesn't do it in Tenet, so credit to Nolan. Um, but every time you see that, I'm like, and it, it applies to this movie too. I'm like, terribly written character. You're just there to be like a beautiful object of lust. You're giving a more interesting performance than the role asks for, or maybe the movie can support. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I do, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm struck by how, like, she's literally abandoned with 20 minutes to go in this movie. And there's no resolution to that romance. And not in an interesting way either. Yeah, she's just, like, devastated as he's being pushed into the ambulance. Yeah, yeah she... You guys That's think he survives get. at the end? I think he does. Uh, it. I don't know how he does. I think he does. I don't know how. Matter because he's still in purgatory, no matter what. He's is my Grinch. answer to that question. 
Bruges is purgatory. Like if he dies, he spends the rest of his life in Bruges. If he lives, he spends the rest of his life in Bruges, right? Yeah. Like that's what's waiting for him on the other well, side. Because either way, if he shit. lives, like he's probably going to jail for the yeah. rest of his life, right? Yeah, it's his like life is functionally what's going over. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just wish I just wish she had more things to do because that the, the 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 scene with her uh and him in the bedroom when Jeremy Renier shows up mm-hmm. and tries to rob them is so funny and she's so funny in it right this like awkward stammering where she still tried to sleep with colin but she like yeah kind of wants to rob him too which she's like is... she's like you can stay here if you want i i have to take him to urgent care i don't know when i'll be back yeah. <laughs> what what does he say to her that like really wins her over it's such a nice moment where he says like someone nice is that what it is that oh, he's accurate. like he's like a girl like you is never attracted to me. Yeah, yeah. He's like and I he, knew it. A I nice, knew that. like a nice girl or something. Yeah. yeah, but that's what it is. Is that he calls her nice, and that's what wins her over. And I love her reaction to to that. Like again, it's it's a shitty role on the page, and I mean, we'll get into this, Connor. You've seen Seven Psychopaths, Connor? Yeah. Like yeah. the women, the women in Seven Psychopaths really get the short shrift, and that's almost the joke of that movie. Is that that movie is like because that movie is so postmodern, it's doubling down on like the Clemence Posey as like beautiful eye candy. A movie thing. that uh, that McDonough doesn't really seem to like very much. A movie respect. that is yeah. weird. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I have no idea how he feels about Three Billboards, but he's spoken like while on the press run for banshees he has been like open about like not thinking that seven psychopaths i i kind of really like seven psychopaths Uh, we'll get to it it's an insane movie um it doesn't work at all maya would you believe that this is the second colin farrell film where he shoots a blank into somebody's eye and blinds them oh my god it is i would believe that it happens in Tigerland, except it's a heroic thing that he does in Tigerland. I feel like his... it was pretty heroic in this one too. He, he I... does it. He does it to his friend to help get him out of having to go get shipped off to Vietnam at the end of Tigerland. Yeah. Can I? Can I say this though? I don't know that I buy it in this one because he's such a rookie. I think I buy it more all... in this one than in the in. No, Tiger but Land. he's such a rookie in every other way that in like the heat of the moment. He pulls that's off this incredibly one, cool move. Well, that's, that's the one thing about this that I don't understand is like he's conceivably never been. It, it was his first hit was the one yes. where he accidentally shot the the kid, but he seems to have the skills of a good hitman. Yeah, regardless. which is bad yeah. writing. He's yeah. a novice in killing. Like he's not killed before, but he knows how to use a gun. Like As he's he not butts that guy like immediately and disarms him in a yeah, way. That... I can see him knowing how to fight it's knowing like in the moment that if i fire a blank into someone's face there's still enough debris yeah and light and energy that it injures them that's like something ken would do i was gonna say maybe ken taught him maybe we just we, we didn't see it it was off camera maybe it's a bad writing that mcdonough he... wants him to do something cool <laughs> i love when he's shooting Kieran Hines though like how much especially on the first gunshot how much Colin like overplays the recoil yeah do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about that like he almost yeah. like flings himself to the other side of it because he's never done it before yeah that's th- that's what I'm talking about when I say there's like so much in this performance that's not just that he gets to say funny lines he's acting 
he's he's capital A acting, and in a way that I don't find great in. Uh, but this movie is also capital W written. Which this like movie is that's it. what I'm saying yeah. is that this movie's and like I think Gleason's wonderful in this, but Gleason is like meeting the script right where it needs to be. Yeah. Right? Uh, have you seen? My I assume you haven't. But please correct me if you have. But uh, have either of you seen Six Shooter, his short film that yeah. he made right before this? You did see, yeah. It. yeah. I I watched it this morning, uh, just because I was like, let me let me get that in here because I know it's it's kind of like the proto in Bruges in a way because it's him and it's Gleason and it got a lot of attention. It kind of helped get this movie funded. I mean, you um, know, one Academy Award. It's bad to be clear. It's not good. It's but it's it's so like playwright's first movie in a way because it's all one location and it's just like people entering and exiting and like having various permutations of conversations in a way that this movie for all that I don't think this movie looks great there is this sort of confidence and like I'm going to set my movie in this beautiful town and shoot on all these real locations that does feel like a statement of purpose from the playwright turned filmmaker yeah I see what you mean you ever been to Bruges no i need to go now i've never been to belgium i I have been to bruges oh have you uh yes is it a fairy tale town (laughs) you guys gotta understand that like maybe the most i've ever related to anyone in any movie ever is colin farrell's general disposition toward being a tourist (laughs) in this movie uh when brendan gleason's like go up there you can see the view and he's like i can see it from here yeah i'm like yes Thank you. I hate, I hate during touristy shit. It it strikes me as so stupid. My uh, favorite, so- my favorite, like, I don't know. My favorite gag, I guess, is when they're in the church and he's kind of just like kicking the chair around. Do I have forward. to? And he's like, let's go and touch the blood of Jesus. Yeah. He's like, do I have Her. to? And it's that's- a gag. It's a gag that's also done in the uh, Tim Heidecker film, The Comedy. He didn't direct it. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, the Rick Alverson. Rick Alverson yeah. directed that. The Rick picture. Alverson film, The Comedy. It's it's a gag that's like done in a different way. But I don't know if you feel this way growing up Catholic, but like having spent so much time in that specific <laughs> setting, like people just acting out the impulse of like, I'm just going to fuck around the pews or I'm just going to like kick this chair while I'm sitting here. It's just like so undeniably funny to me because it's what everybody is thinking at all times when you're sitting down during yeah. mass. Uh, I think part of the reason why I was so taken with this movie is that Colin Farrell in many scenes, especially when he's playing it like brattier and more childish is playing 77 year old me visiting <laughs> Bruges and being like, this place sucks. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Uh, Gleason good in this movie? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. course. Just well, a fucking professional. That's the other thing that I've been waiting to say is we watch so many Colin movies where he has questionable at best uh, chemistry Partners. with the co-leads. <laughs> yes. And then you get to this one where every single lead in this, every single actor in this film plays off of each other. They have great and, chemistry. Yeah. Everyone does. You You can tell it's been rehearsed, but like in a good way. You know, yes. like like prep has gone in. It you, you get now 15 years after this movie comes out and they just did the Banshee Press tour that like, oh yeah, of course these guys are really good friends. Like you yeah. see the seeds of it in this mm-hmm. movie. Apparently he Colin t- told a story while he was on the press tour recently for Banshees where he had like literally just gone out of rehab when he took the meeting for this film. And he told Martin McDonough, he was like, casting me and I love your script. 
I really want to be in this, but you have to understand that like, I now carry a weight with me that might be negative to the project. And Martin Madonna was like, I understand what you're saying. I I haven't even, I'm not even considering you not being in the film because you think it's a bad idea for those reasons. Like if you don't want to be in the film, I'll accept that. But if you do want it, I want, you're the person I want. But then he talks about how he went to go meet Brendan Gleeson for the first time. And he walks into the hotel suite that Brendan Gleeson was sitting in. And Brendan Gleeson says immediately, do you want a drink or something? I think I have, I think I have some stuff lying around here. And Colin is, doesn't want to say like, Oh, I'm actually, I, I just got out of rehab. Cause he still feels kind of awkward about it. But before he can like really come to an answer, Brennan Gleason t- just puts a bottle of still water down on the table in front of him. And he's like, you don't have to worry about anything here. And uh, he speaks about that as being like something that yeah. they return to in their own friendship that, that, he knew right from the beginning that he could feel comfortable around him in that way. And I think you yeah. could see it in the performance. Like you could tell that he feels comfortable around Brennan Gleason, that he's not one. He's, he's not overdoing it in a way he has in some other films that we watched, I think because he's, he isn't getting in other films that we've seen. I imagine that he probably wasn't getting that kind of proactive interplay mm-hmm. with his scene partner, but at the same time, he, he clearly feels comfortable to take risks in what he's doing on camera in a way that like alludes to Brennan Gleason being a very attentive scene partner, especially in shots where he's presumably off camera, but there um, to keep the eye line straight. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously he's been around for a while at this point. Yeah. Um, and he's had like leading roles before and he's had like supporting roles in like movies that do well in America. Like he's in 28 days. He does a couple, he does the Harry Potter movie, mm-hmm. but like, I think if anyone actually really benefits from this movie, it's him. Yeah. Because, like, it's not like he becomes a star off this movie, but, like, this kind of launches him into the more rarefied air of character actor. Well, we spoke about, um, we brought up The General a lot when we were talking about Ordinary Decent Criminal way back when, because it's kind of the same film. But if you're reading reviews for In Bruges, they're talking about Brennan Gleeson as, like, he was in that really good film, The General, back in in 1998. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but like, I think like if, if I'm going to like do this like stratosphere of like character actor dumb and especially British character actor dumb, you know, like he's in Harry Potter four, <laughs> but that's like a small role. Even if he like comes in and out a lot of that movie, he's like low down, like juice wise. Right. I feel like this kind of launches him in the consciousness to like, almost but not quite like a rickman level personality like had yeah. he been as famous post bruges he probably would have gotten a bigger role in the harry potter movies from the jump or he yeah. would have or moody would have been a, as big of a figure in that movie as he is in the book like i feel I do like agree. i'm not sure of a rickman but definitely n- like a n- timothy spall spall or maybe yeah. like broadbent Right, Broadband, like definitely people yeah. like there, there. There's a degree of character actor who was just like in a movie, and like they can have like fan bases to them, and people can like appreciate them. But I think Wilkinson, like someone like him up again. Wilkin, no, Wilkinson's a great example of the yeah. latter category. I think actually, what I'm about to say, but like someone like like I get excited that Jelko Ivanic is in this movie, right? <laughs> but that's because like Jelko Ivanic's cool, and he's in a lot of good movies, right? He's always fun, yeah. but like. When Wilkinson, Tom Wilkinson shows up in a movie, it's kind of like an event, 
right? Mm. Like it matters that Tom to the movie to you and always, me. Oh, okay. I get no, what you're saying. to the yeah. tenor of the film. Yes, Tom Wilkinson being in your movie matters. Mm-hmm. Before in Bruges, I just had this up. Brendan Gleeson's in big movies, right? He's in Lake Placid. He's in AI. He's in Gangs in New York. He's in Cold Mountain. He's in The Village. He's in Kingdom of Heaven. You know, you know who he is in all those movies? Some guy. guy. Yeah. But when he shows up in Edge of Tomorrow, when he shows up in Paddington 2, when he shows up in uh the raven when he shows up and live by night you know we have to there's like to an import what we have to like hunt down a way to do Pad- paddington 2 one day i'm sure you can find okay. it i will yeah. think on it i will think on it and we'll paddington. just do hugh grant above the title paddington. we'll just do hugh grant <laughs> okay. there you go I'll there are some rom-coms yeah. you can go down to four weddings and a funeral four weddings and other movies uh dungeons and dragons honor among thieves a movie you'd like connor if you would bother to watch it i believe you yeah we gotta do paddington too i thought you were saying we gotta do live by night and i was like do we have to do live by night we probably will though at some point that's the the problematic thing about it yeah my have Um... you seen live by night the ben affleck movie Oh, I'm not an Affleck girl. You you don't need to see it. Boo. You don't need to see it. Boo. I'm, not, I'm sorry. It's okay. The I only thing you. Ben Affleck and I share is an uh a love for Dunkin' Donuts. Yes, correct. Appropriate. Uh, uh and a semi distaste for J Lo. He loves her. Yeah. He loves her. He loves her so much, and I believe it in my heart. And she loves him. It's great. It's great. I love Ben Affleck. He's my favorite celebrity. I've so, said this before on the podcast. I'll say it again. He's my favorite <laughs> celebrity. So, um, really funny take that I saw on In Bruges was Manola Darges basically saying, like, where is it? He says, she says, the writing sounds like the handiwork of a very clever young filmmaking student with a fondness for Sartre and Tarantino. Though here, the 30-something Mr. McDonough only name drops Nicholas Rogue and Touch of Evil. <laughs> like, I don't know. The... <laughs> It seems so dismissive of of him, while every yeah. other review is like, "Oh, this is a major breakthrough of a of a a new um, important writer director." <laughs> I like, I like the "Don't Look Now" homage in this movie, which is so too. on the nose, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it kind of tells you what the movie's gonna be early on when you think it's still just like a like a almost like knockoff Matthew Vaughn movie you know yeah uh, it basically tells you like no this is going to end unpleasantly and things aren't going to get resolved and everyone's going to die it's it tells you it tells you That's right from how... the jump it tells you right from the jump not to get into the the needy plot of don't look now but it tells you right right from where you I think at the point when Harry shows up in the film, when you actually see Ray Fiennes, I or Ray Fiennes, I think um, you have the understanding that this film is heading to a destination and it's not going to be able to veer off course. Like it's going to, it's going to conclude where you expect that it's going to conclude, and what makes it interesting in a way that Cassandra Cassandra's dream does the opposite is that every turn along the way puts it on a path where 
it ending where it's going to end seems so against the grain. You get what I'm saying? And then uh, to yes. like be plain about it, like you understand, you understand from the, the second that Harry tells Ken to kill Ray, you understand that it's going to end in a shootout where they're all probably going to get shot. Yeah. But, it, but I, yeah, I mean, every I, step, I, yeah, every step that the film takes along that path is it's pushing you in a direction where it's trying to come. It's trying to, to, to force these characters into a situation where they have to not use violence. <laughs> where they yeah. have to just talk about their feelings and like work it out yet you still know that it's going to hit that that end point at some point which is what which is what don't look now is about yeah i think yeah. the distinction with cassandra's dream is that the ending of cassandra's dream is so tidy um like narratively and ideologically that you're kind of just irritating that it's headed there and the ending of this is so messy that it's yeah. a more interesting destination to get to if the movie's told you you're going to get to it Cassandra's dream is tidy but not satisfying, and this film is messy, yes. but it somehow I satisfies. Do, in that I do head. love the ending. I love that Fines has no hesitation when he goes to shoot himself in the head. Um, I love that the that the the voiceover that you hear, which you only hear at the beginning and the end, great. is just Ray saying, "I I I did not want to die." Right? Yeah. Is that what he says as the film ends? <laughs> he says, "I didn't want to die." Is this going to be the rest of yeah. eternity? Yeah. yeah, in in fucking Bruce. Um, I wish because it there's wasn't... nothing there's nothing more terrifying than the idea of of as you're dying not coming to terms with it. Yeah. Like there's al- there's almost literally nothing more terrifying in existence than that existence coming to an end and you being like this is not what i want to be happening right now this is not happening at all. <laughs> yeah, because every romantic portrayal of death is is the person who's dying being inviting death to come take them along being like yeah. i've done all I, I need to do here the thing i will say about the ending that i don't like is that i don't like that it is predicated on a little person sight gag yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i find all the jimmy stuff in this movie to be kind of tasteless yes like there is a 10 minute long sequence in this movie that just exists and there's a lot of funny stuff in this scene but from when colin has gotten the cocaine to the end of like the night of them partying there's this whole extended when he karate chops jimmy these guys yeah. partying gleason and colin and jimmy the little person and a, pro- a couple prostitutes partying together scene there's funny stuff in there that only exists because mcdonough wants to put the mental image in our heads of a race war amongst the little people right like Everything that happens in this scene is building to that gag. Well, there's one, there's, there's, there's the one hiccup along the way where it's unveiled that the scene's actually about that Ken was married to a black woman. Sure, yes, like I said, yeah, that's a lovely idea, and that is the most interesting use of the race humor in here. Is that like all of a sudden this guy? comes at them with like the actual yeah. realities of but that, racism. that's an example mm-hmm. of what i'm talking about where it makes the race humor feel very pathetic because it like undoes itself there's there's i think a very outdated like putting a little person in your film adds like edginess to it because you yeah. can get gawk at them thing that like mcdonough's the last person to really like traffic in because he does it so much in three billboards with Dinklage. Mm-hmm. And this this like almost like reverse emasculation that 
that McDorman dating Dinklage is like a weakness that McDorman needs to like move Explore. past yeah. to be like this great avenging angel. Um, have you guys seen Living in Oblivion? Do you even so. know Living in Oblivion? It does I not feel like sound I recognize familiar. the title. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend Living in with in Oblivion. Um Living in Oblivion is from 1995. It's by a Dom uh Tom DeCillo, who had made Johnny Swade the like Jarmish biting Brad Pitt movie. Hmm. Uh it is functionally a movie about the making of Johnny Swade. Um it is it is Steve Buscemi plays like an indie film director in like the 90s indie film boom who's losing his mind trying to make this like cool indie Sundance movie. Um, but most of the movie is predicated on the shooting of this dream sequence that goes wrong. And Peter Dinklage, it's his first movie. He plays an actor who's been brought in to be in this dream sequence. And he has this monologue where he shoots at Buscemi and is like, why is it that if anyone's having a dream, there has to be a dwarf there? Like, why is that the only reason that dwarves are on screen is to indicate that something weird is happening. We're real people. And that's what I think about when I think of like, if Bruges is this like almost surreal dreamlike, like liminal crossing into purgatory in this movie, which I think is what it is, right? That they're, they're not alive. They're not dead. They're in an eternal waiting room, which is this like perfectly preserved medieval city. How do we know that's the case? It's because there's a little person walking around all the time. Like the the function of that and everything he he represents is I think this retrograde use of like little people as novelty, which is also what happens in Don't Look Now, right? Yeah. Uh, and that he's like the fulcrum point is like, is it cute as a screenwritery note that like yeah, so the, the the thing in Don't Look Now that that kind of I don't want to say it's a good use because it's not there. There almost are no good uses of this, uh, at least not one that I can point to. But I think the thing that don't look now is you as the villa, uh, you as the viewer also don't know that this is a little person until the, yes. the end of the film. It's complicated. You think it's a child for like it's... 99% of the film. You think it's a child and don't look now. It's complicated and don't look now. And I don't yeah. necessarily think we have the time to like sort that. I haven't also watched that movie in forever. This movie, though, you've got this idea that, like, it's a little person. We, I'm just saying this is what the, the, I think the logic the movie is following. It's a little person. Audiences are going to view a little person as childish. Isn't it funny if he says all these violent racist things? Because we think he's a kid, but he's not. It's boring. It's bad writing. It's hacky. Uh, It's tricky. It's tricky. Because clearly Ray's obsession with little people killing themselves is supposed to tune you in to his own suicidal ideation that he's been dealing with. And it's also a piece with his general arrest development that he's reacting like he's at a circus every time he sees this guy, right? Like, I don't think that's – I don't think – his like excitement every time he sees this guy is meant to reflect well on Ray. I think it is meant to indicate no, that Ray's a bit not. of a dull. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 What else to say? Well, I just uh, like aside from that, there's something about this film that I can't get over, which is like for whatever reason, it just fills me with like giddy giddiness at the end of the film when it like turns into a sitcom for a second and they're laughing at him with the schoolboys uniform on, but they're like, it's so lighthearted and they're 
seeming friendship that they've all (laughs) built with each other by that point where that like like i'm saying like that kind of like sitcom-esque attitude where they they're they're like insulting each other but it's not taken it's from too deep yeah Yeah, it's not like a real insult they're just sitting there enjoying beers yeah, I think that would click more if Jimmy was more of a real character. It would. And no, know? it definitely would. Like if he had if he d- had had somehow developed this like genuine friendship with Jimmy throughout it. I guess I I feel like the film doesn't I, I almost the film itself is too scared to portray Jimmy as a real person because Jimmy's death <laughs> is the only yeah, uh, plot device continuing. But he's also like I, I, I I'm sorry he's also not a little uh, a real person because like that's not how the movie thinks about little people yeah right like it, no, it, i'm not it, disagreeing it, 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 i mean yeah. it's a it's a recursive thing there do we make him a little person because you don't want people to get invested in him because he dies or like 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 i think you're there like i don't know i just we we can make movies about little people where they're actually like it's a, they're actually real people in the movie you yeah. know, like yeah. that's never what we've done. It's always been a sideshow carny thing, including, I'm sorry, everyone's beloved David Lynch uh, loves to have like shock little people come out. I think, did you guys see Cyrano, the Joe Wright one? No, I haven't actually. Uh, you should. I've been meaning it's, to watch have it. Have you seen it? If I have, I wasn't From like two attention. years ago, the, yeah. the Cyrano de Bergerac musical with Peter Dinklage with music by The National. Uh, I feel like it was rocks. playing in the background and I did not like well, sit down and watch it, but I remember it v- very clearly. That movie is based on a play by Peter Dinklage's wife um, that she wrote for oh, Peter. That. Yeah, that she wrote for Peter Dinklage. And I believe what she said when it was like still like off Broadway or whatever, before they even made it to a movie was that she was like, I love him. I wanted to write the role where he's a dashing romantic lead. Right? It's a beautiful sentiment. But then the subtext to that is, wait, why doesn't Peter Dinklage get to do that more often though? He's so Mm -hmm. handsome. The answer is because we're still at a point and McDonough is a big part of this where we're never going to let little people have the breadth of... Be people on screen. Uh, Yeah, that's my rant about... We only have the station agent, I guess. The fucking... Best movie ever made. Are you fucking kidding me? Let's go. Does the station agent at oh Dinklage isn't in this film? No. Is Dinklage no, he's not in seven seconds. Are we we're not gonna do Dinklage? We're not gonna do we could do Dinklage. I just don't want to watch all that game. No, I mean like we're not gonna do him in the Colin season. No. Dinklage is from New Jersey. Yes, he is. He's an iconic. Uh, and I know Dinklage is not this movie. I'm just I'm I'm associating this movie with a lot of stuff with Dinklage just because he's the most famous little person actor. Well, and... he's in Three Billboards. Yes, and this he's in movie, Three Billboards. And the portrayal in this film is is directly associated with the one. In oh yeah. yeah, this actor is Jordan Prentice, who kind of I mean, looks like... like Peter Dinklage too in the yeah. face. Like, I think a... he looks just like Matt Damon. Oh, yes, I think he does look okay. like Damon. Yeah. Um. This guy, if you look at his career, like he does a lot of like sight gag roles and a lot of that other thing that um little people actor do where they're basically like costume roles. Like he was one of the Howard the Ducks, mm. you know? Uh-oh. 
I mean, I know this is obviously the lineage of a lot of little people is that they played Ewoks, they played elves, they played, you know, robots and stuff because their proportions are right for it. That they have that like semi-stunt dance, like physical body performance side to them. And he's done a lot of that. Like, um, you know, the scene in Harold and Kumar where they get high and they hallucinate the giant bag of weed that's running around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's Jordan Prentice. That's this guy. Oh, wow. Like that's the career this guy has had is doing stuff like that. So maybe it is nice that he got like a, a juicy role where he could like go head to head with some movie stars. Uh, I just wish it was a better role. And two American Pie. I was going to say, you don't think video. his work at American Pie was award you know, I've never, I've never seen the DTV American Pies. Um, every so often I'm like, I got to sit down and watch all the direct-to-video American Pies. Because uh, I could definitely see myself being a, like, there's some gems in there type of guy. I don't Absolutely. remember this, but I feel like I definitely watched the Naked Mile. I'm looking yeah. at the guy's filmography right now. I feel like as a horny like 12 year old, I, I think watched everybody it. watched Naked Mile and Never no one watched it. Beta House. Um, am am I you know? am I incorrect in saying that he's like he's the I think he's like the president of a little Frat. person fraternity yeah. in the Naked Mile. Sure. Um, did you guys know that in 2020, like during COVID, when like all movies that came out don't exist? Are you going to say that uh, an American Pie movie came out? There was a gender flipped American Pie remake. Oh my God. What is it called? American. Oh my- it's called American Pie Presents Girls Rules. And it's, it's the about, first movie? It's yeah, like it's the- about it's about four girls in their senior year. Uh, I guess only one of them wants to like lose their virginity, but they're all like wanting, they're like, oh, they make a pact. They do the whole thing. Oh um, my God, Madison Pettis. Who's Madison she's just Pettis? a baby. If you ever watched, um, is it The Rookie with The Rock? I never watched oh, uh, no, any no, of no, those not things. Rookie, not the game plan. She's in the game, game plan. plan yeah. That one. Thank you. Oh, she's in He's All That, the movie only I liked. The gender flip She's All That remake. Cool. I'm questioning a lot of your taste right now. I couldn't get through it. Okay. Can I make the case for why it's good? You can try. Because it's the most single most evil movie ever made. (laughs) It is like (laughs) when you make when you make when you make cases like that, they never cease to to make me laugh. (laughs) The like the like I I love this because of how evil and (laughs) retrograde it is. That movie was directed by Mark Waters, who directed Mean Girls, right? The subtle thread throughout OG every Mean Girls, not Mean Girls the musical. OG Mean Girls. He directed The House of Yes. He did my beloved Vampire Academy with Zoe Deutsch. Um the the thread throughout all of Mark Waters' movies is that people are awful and everyone sucks, right? To like varying degrees. He did Bad Santa 2, right? He didn't even do Bad Santa 1. He did like the real bare bones Bad Santa 2. He's all that is just so empty. And just like this cavalcade of product placement starring a TikTok star who has never spoken to another human being in her life. Like walking us through. It is like his ultimate thesis of everyone sucks. You it's it's the best movie Michael Hanukkah could never have the balls to make because Hanukkah needs to like key you in on this. He's all that is just like this is the fucking slop you eat. Eat it up, piggies. Michael Hanukkah. You are scum. You are scum. That's why I like he's all that. Yeah, I don't want to watch it. It's you don't. it's, it's don't unpleasant. It. It's you're you're so fascinated by how it's the most boring movie ever made, you know? Mm. 
Mm. Any of this? No, no. People aren't buying this take. Okay. No, <laughs> I haven't I, seen the movie. And I, I, I said I'm the garbage. only person who liked it. I said I'm the only person who liked it. From what it. I understand about the movie, I think there are even more like anemic evil films that kind of no. are more interesting no. to look at. That no, sense. that's the thing. This one's so interesting because it's not interesting. No, but I'm saying... I'm saying I understand that what you're saying. I think there are films that go even harder in the direction that you're talking about that I think are just uh, more interesting to would probably be more interesting. More worthy of a watch, yeah, even if it's a hate watch. To, to, to take this this tangent back up a few inception levels, um, you know how I was saying earlier that fucking the Zoomers don't have it as like on-screen personas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the gender-flipped American Pie remake. Uh, only American Pie movie without any nudity. Interesting. What are we doing? You can't even have like, at the very least, do the thing where you do like instead of like a naked Shannon Elizabeth just parading around, it's like a naked hot guy parading yeah. around, right? Like that's that seems right like a no brainer. There on a platter, yeah. but the Zoomers are terrible audiences, right? They're scared. There would have been They're a think piece. There would have been a fucking think piece. Uh, Maya, I'm going to send you a list of good vapid Netflix originals. To <laughs> I, I love a good Netflix original. Don't get Have me wrong. Have you seen like... Dangerous Lies with Veronica from Riverdale? Guys. And Elliot Gould? Guys, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this. <laughs> this That's movie fucking the... whips. Do we have anything? Do we have anything else we want to Oh, say we have an hour on Ray Fiennes we got to do after we talk about Dangerous Lies. I... I How haven't, many, but like, I'm adding it to my repertoire right now. Add it to your repertoire. I right love now. Camila Mendez. Camila Mendez is great. Nothing happens in this movie. It is the most like we have access to a house and Elliot Gould for a week ass movie anyone's ever made. It's like a Roger Corman movie that's just all the boring scenes in Roger Corman movies. I feel like it's gonna be like that um that Voyeurs movie. That's like the vibe of No, because that's a real movie. I liked the I liked the Voyeurs. Voyeurs was good. It's good. It's good. I love the I opening shot of that thing. The opening shot of that thing fucking rules. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pro Sydney Sweeney. Did you guys see the re- reality winner biopic that she did? I have like not just, watched it yet, but I want to. I've seen. Not, I've heard good things. It's re- she's really fucking good at it. I'm I not think on Sydney the Sydney is really talented bandwagon. I think so I'm too. Not on the bandwagon. But like, I, will... I wouldn't want Sydney Sweeney to fall into the American Pie trap. Like, don't let them no. just be let you be a blonde bimbo, you know. But at the same time, I get this very Anna to Armas Sharon Stone vibe off of her, where I'm like, she understands that being sexy is part of what's interesting, and she wants to play with that. Oh, absolutely! It's why yeah. she does the car thing. Like, I'm sure she yeah. enjoys fixing cars genuinely, but she oh, yeah. also knows, oh, like, she... oh, they're gonna eat this shit up. Oh, like, oh, she's so smart. Me working on my uh, Bronco. Let me do a collab with whatever yeah. brand that was. And like, I love her. I'll never watch Euphoria, but I love her. <gasps> I love you. It I stresses me out. That's why I love it. Sam Levinson. Same. I know so does everyone who watches Euphoria. Everyone who knows that he exists, like minus his father hates him. And his father his father might hate him too. I saw Assassination Nation in the theater. And within like 20 minutes, I was like, 
never watching anything this guy does ever again. I will sign a blood pact. I'm Except you done. watched Deep Water and you talk about it. He didn't it all direct the time. Deep Water. He wrote the screenplay. I so did Tracy Letts. Okay. It, yeah, I love Tracy Letts. Oh man. Did you watch they... Knock a Memory? No Bad movie. No. So I almost hated Zendaya after watching that. And I knew it wasn't even her fault. Uh that almost made me hate one of my favorite songs too. Like what song? I forgot to be your lover. I don't think I know that one. I don't want to do this. Um, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk about. You, I don't want to talk about these you, Netflix movies, which uh, Malcolm Marie is a Netflix questions. movie. If I'm not, can I ask incorrect. you two questions, Maya? Go for it. Can John David Washington act? I think yes. so. Yeah, he can. Interesting. I've I seen him on convinced. He can. He can okay. act. Yeah. Okay. Can Zendaya act? I think she can play certain characters. Yeah, that's not answering the question. <laughs> not on the bandwagon. This is I... me just being like every every female actress below the age of twenty six is bad. That's me. This episode. Well, I, th- Pauly, I think like, Zendaya, I think Zendaya Cindy does Rue. Like if you watch Margaret Euphoria, I think she plays Rue very well. I think she okay. like has mastered that character. But okay. then looking at where she came from in Disney, where like the acting in Disney is like supposed to be bad. And that's what makes it good. But, like, I don't know. It's tough. I really like her in those Spider-Man movies. I think she's good in that, too. Yeah. Um, I... Like, she's good at those characters. I think this... I wouldn't put her in everything. I think this Luca Guadagnino love triangle thing is going to be the real, like, nexus point of, like, can she act or not? Oh, yeah. I hope she can. I would love it if she's, like a good actress i want it for her i she want hasn't it for done me. anything that serious no she's in the, the greatest movie ever made as yes I famously she is in the greatest movie yeah. but connor thinks it's the greatest movie ever made <laughs> is it the greatest showman no it's, i never no. saw it <laughs> uh, she's in dune which which i like dune? less which i like less than <laughs> everybody this is this is the joke maya is that i i came out of dune liking it less than everybody else yet somehow i'm the one that has been given the the moniker no, of dune is you the like greatest Denny, movie it's because you like denny um yes it's because i like I, denny's okay. other films connor, quite a lot. connor yeah. if i if i did what i actually wanted to do and make fun of you for liking blade runner poo uh, every episode, you just end the podcast early. <laughs> that is probably true. It is more fun to say that Dune is the greatest movie ever made. Um, yeah. I just we, don't. I with Zendaya, man. I just don't know. You just hate women. It's fine. Just say it. I hate women. Yeah, I only like men. You probably only... just got ten thousand new listeners to the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come here for some more Andrew Tate. Uh, <laughs> There's got to be a like young up and coming actress you like. Probably. Too okay. To remember one off the top of my sure. head. Sure. Here's Do my you question. Like Haley Steinfeld. Sure. I think she's good. What is what has she been in? Uh, the Edge of than... Fucking Seventeen is yeah, what she's been in. I mean, she's good in it. She's good in it, but that was that was a long time ago now. What? Dickinson, if you watch TV, she was in Hawkeye, but that's Marvel, so that's a whole other thing. She's in yeah. Spider Man, yeah, she's she's doing a lot of like. Here's the question. Here, here's 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 the thing. I love Florence Pugh. Like, I will back yes. for Florence Pugh. Does she count? Does yes. she count in that? Absolutely. Yeah. I she love counts Pugh. more yeah. than Mar- Okay, you said 
all the actresses under 26. And she's what? So Florence Pugh doesn't count because she's 27. But Uh, neither does Margaret Qualley, who's 28. What about Elle Fanning? Um, Elle Fanning. Elle Fanning counts. Elle Fanning's good. Nepo. Elle Fanning counts. Sorry. Nepo case. That is true. Right enough her sister, even though she's given my favorite actress than Dakota. So if you're going to compare Elle Fanning to Zendaya... Two people who've been around since they were zygotes. Yeah. Like, to be clear. I think they, I think for whatever reason, they've been used similarly despite being so different. Elle Fanning's Maybe it's because they're more. like kind of like. Lanky. Elle Fanning's done so much more. Maybe because like they're kind at of Zendaya's like. and ethereal in a sense. Like, angelic, Elle Fanning fucking that type like. Of... Elle Fanning books, you know? Yeah. She hasn't done anything in a while. Uh,. She's done some TV, but TV is not real. Like Zendaya but, has ten films, and four of them she's just voicing. Yeah, and one of them. This is, is what's Zendaya. difficult. This is what's difficult is Zendaya is being featured in a lot of these projects as Zendaya, an attraction in mm-hmm. in and of herself. Mm-hmm. And while I have seen Euphoria, I've seen a good amount of that show, and I do think she's giving good performances at time. At times, I think that part of the attraction is seeing Zendaya do these things in the show. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily yes. the performance that the actor as separate entity from the name being applied to actor is given. I think it, part of it is just seeing Zendaya in this context. People mm-hmm. like her. Yes. yes. So it's, yeah. hard it's, to it's actually, but people like her, but people also like this kind of like very, uh, manicured swagger that she has yes. in media and i think that carries through to stuff and it works in a way in euphoria in which when i'm watching her in dune i'm like i and she's only been in dune for like five minutes but i i just don't really understand yeah. how it's going to work in the long run because she because zendaya in my head only exists as a commodified figure of the 21st century and not as an actor that can be transplanted into that kind of like fantasy landscape yeah. or just do you think she's an industry project. plant call yeah literally of course she is she's yeah. disney no she's like, kind of I, like the definition on, of on, an industry hold plant. on no 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 no, no. first yeah. of all first of all nobody's not right like people don't understand what industry plants are uh it really only exists in music mm-hmm. and it's you guys remember gail this is like this is like yeah. the only thing that ever rattles in my head you know she that AB, for uh, taylor swift you know that abcdefu song, uh, song yes okay you guys know the origin story of that song right yes that connor do you know it no she like went on TikTok and she's like, give me ideas for songs. And someone said, like, write a breakup song using the alphabet. And like and, like 30 minutes later, or whatever, she posted like a video of her performing like a very rough sketch of that song. Uh Maya, do you know who the person who asked her to do that was? Whose account that was? I can't think it off the top, but you're gonna say it because I remember Braun. watching the deep dive no, of this it's, investigation. This, this is what I say. This is an industry plant. She asked for a fan submission, right? She was like, give me ideas. And then she yeah. wrote this song that conveniently was like super hooky and a great hit. Got the person nominated who for re- a Grammy. The person who requested that for her was a marketing executive at her. Yes. Role. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what an industry plant is. Absolutely. We don't need to be talking about someone like Zendaya who's been in the Disney machine 
from day what, one. What credibility is she supposed to have? Right? It's not no no disrespect to her. Like that's the job. Uh, Zendaya, if you're listening, can I give you a piece of unsolicited advice? But I think it's you should take this to heart. Break up with Tom Holland. Oh, it's bad for their career. It's bad for your career. He's a losing proposition. His stock is plummeting, honey. Get off that train. Start dating Mike Feist. You know, if you were dating Mike Feist, ooh, the Pat photos, ooh, everyone Her would love Tom it. Are endgame. Can I can I no. solidify my my take now on Sydney Sweeney, and then we can move on to yes. else that we need to talk about. So the thing about Sydney Sweeney that I understand what you're saying is that she understands that her sexuality is a thing that can be played with, yeah. um, a thing that can be used to incite discourse, if not yeah. like as an element of discourse it's, itself. But I think for me, the issue arises where, again, it's that if we're going to be talking about industry plant like as a concept, if we're talking about the kind of manicured media stature that these people have nowadays that's so important to the way the industry works i think there is no mystery to her sexuality in the way that it's being used at least that i've seen and i think Hmm. because she's like her sexuality is being used in a way that isn't necessarily saying anything about her as an individual nor about her attitudes towards gender intimacy any other route you want to take down i think the discourse that's being incited by her nudity in these projects or just her sexuality in general is simple very simple surface level conversation about like what should and could and can be done but is in that these projects is that her fault or is that the fault of the culture that receives? It's hard to say. You know? I'm not saying I'm I not think... saying that she's bad. I'm saying with her, I'm saying I'm not on the bandwagon. And with Zendaya, I'm saying I'm not on the bandwagon. See, and with I... Florence Pugh, I'm I'm driving well, the bandwagon. Pugh's... And with Margaret Qualley, <laughs> I'm like, I would be fine if the bandwagon just drove off in the distance and I never saw when, it again. When you tell me things that like Sydney Sweeney is developing a non-sploitation movie and a Barbarella remake. Like, but I just that, don't think it that would tells do me that Sydney that's... Sweeney has like a vision for the broad projects. I'm not sure that is I, interesting, I, and well, that the she's idea like, it's cool. The idea of those projects, those I, the idea of those projects works, but I think the problem is the actuality of those projects are probably but going did you to be see very the tame voyeurs? in a way that they're not that interesting. But did you see the voyeurs? I haven't. That's the one because the voyeurs because she she had like more. She didn't like write the voyeurs, but like yeah. everything they've talked about that collab and making that movie, like you can tell she has some more authorship. Maya, you saw it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That movie is kind of about the camera transforming someone into a Sydney Sweeney type uh, in a way that's very interesting. And when you tell me that she was making another movie with that guy that's an unsploitation movie, I'm like, Sydney Sweeney, you're thinking about this, right? And part of that is a marketing hook, like you were saying, Maya, with the truck thing and the photos and the lingerie brands and all that stuff. But I think part of it's the art. But it's very boring. I don't think it's boring. It's, it may it's... be boring to you, but it's people gobble that shit up. Like, it's hot. He's the only person alive who understands that big boobs are camp. Yeah, but I 
so my question, if we're going to be talking about industry plans, my question is, I haven't really like met an individual person who's like, I am gobbling this shit up. I've seen like headlines of BuzzFeed articles being like, people can't get over that Sydney Sweeney is that's doing cars. Hollywood. That's press. Yeah. But... That's the machine. It, like, yeah, the articles exist because the conversations are happening. Like, but what I'm, but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily as true as it used to be. Like, I think the articles can exist in a in a way now that feigns the conversation that's not actually happening in reality. Connor, we are coming up on a 20, 20 years of Americans having a fascination with butts that solely exists because of promo for the first Jennifer Lopez album. Right? Like, it's always yeah. been like this. They're always, but I there's do, always someone maybe new. It's just because I still I'm don't getting, trust Jacob Elordi. I don't buy the Jacob It might just be Elordi because thing. I'm older. I don't know. It might just be because I'm older now. Do you ever read tabloids? Like, I feel like you're just too divorced from tabloid culture. Yeah, but I feel like tabloid culture in itself is just run by these marketing campaigns. Yes! Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a vicious cycle. But then, it's it's, so it's not real. It's as real as anything is in Hollywood, baby. That's why Hollywood's cool. I feel like Do there you are like some movie stars feel, or not. No, but I feel like I feel like the, the when a movie star is a true movie star, it's because there is something that's like undeniably real that the that the press can't feign. Sure, Sydney Sweeney's yeah. been around for three years. Give her time to cook. Oh yeah. You know where you know where Denzel was three years into his career. Saying elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, not even, not even saying elsewhere. His first TV movie is like seventy eight. I'm just not on the bandwagon. Like I can well, get on get the bandwagon. That's ba- fine. I'm just not on it right now. You just hate young women, is what I'm hearing. Oh my God, let's. See. I gotta go to sleep. So this can is the we first time we're on. Yeah, talk about Ray Fiennes. We can. Yes. Yeah. Fucking incredible. Hit it off. Next level. He looks like a fucking shark. The man it. has like the most eyes. pristine comedic timing, like maybe any actor has ever had. Why is it always why is it always a revelation when he's funny in a movie? Like because he's so scary. Because he's Voldemort. Because <laughs> he's a Nazi in Schindler's List. And then well, you know, uh, in Unspooled's episode on Schindler's List, the critic Amy Nicholson states that she kind of has she has issues with her own self while watching Schindler's List because of how funny Fines is in that role. He's like constantly kind of delivering. Uh, punchlines, yeah. Despite being a cruel monster, so I mean, yeah, it's almost like cruel monsters are real people. Well, you have you have the evidence from from even that period early on that he's capable of this kind of comedic timing. Yeah, but but it's there's there's what he's doing in Schindler's List, which is like an accent on like pure evil, and then yeah. there's this and Grand Budapest and Hail Caesar, right? Which is just like clinics in screen comedy yeah um he's so just it's just such like the perfect jolt of energy in this movie when he shows up halfway through when he stops being a voice and becomes a person which is like almost at the halfway mark i always think it's later but i love how perfectly he plays off gleason where gleason is this tired man who's been just weathered down over the years of doing this while harry is like so excited to be able to jump back into it like he has this this like yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like he has this kind of it's... like the action is the juice for Harry. He's like, he's just excited to be able to have the opportunity to be like, I might get in a shootout. Right. <laughs> I'm so it's... excited for it. It is such an interesting, never discussed or acknowledged like note that he's like living in a boring suburban house with like Absolutely. a wife his age and age appropriate kids and yeah, a wife man. and kids that he likes that it's like a glimpse into almost like a Michael Lee movie and the movie never like <laughs> draws the connections between that and the crime boss and like a Japanese live-in nanny yeah. that's taking care of his kids for yeah. that one of his kids kind of looks like I was like wait a minute <laughs> head yeah. cocked yes. like it's it's easy casting to have his wife be much younger right Mm-hmm. And then you see that and you're like, oh, he's rare, trophy wife, blah, blah, blah. That it's like a woman his age. You're like, oh, this is like a life this guy has. That matches his energy also. That like, she's like, she's it's so a funny. fucking inanimate object. You're and they're like, inanimate object. I love that he apologizes to her for that. I also, one of the things, this sort of circles back to the like list of morals that these men have. Yeah. And this guy has, like you said, he has a family. He has like a life. Yes, and he kills what he thinks is a kid, and is so willing to kill himself and like end that side of his life instantly. Like that, like that. to the point where I'm like, not that he's like excited about it, but like you know, he's like, I can live by my code in this moment. Doesn't even hesitate to put the gun in his mouth and like kill himself. You know what always gets me at that that scene is that Ray has just been shot by him like five times, and Ray sees that he's making the mistake that he thinks he's killed a kid, and he's putting the gun in his mouth. And Ray's trying to tell him, he's like, "No, Harry, yeah. it's not. It's just, it's the code." They're all good people. Like that's the trick of this movie, right? For all they do bad things, like Ken, Ray, and Harry are all good people guys who, yeah. like, seem to want the best for everyone around them. And then are just put in situations where they feel like they have to kill people. And that's yeah. that's the weird, like, under-examined tension powering this movie. And I kind of like that it's not, there's no buttons put on it, you know? That that annoying screenwritery habit that can sometimes happen. It's in like, the I don't, alcoves. Yeah, the alcoves. I don't love that uh, they even, like, talk about purgatory in the dialogue. I wish it was more yes. just floating there. Um. Yeah, he's great in this movie. Uh, Jeremy Renier shows up in this movie, which is so funny. I feel like I can usually. I feel like I can usually tell when jokes are red hair or not red hair when jokes are kind of foreshadowing something that's going to happen later, just from the amount of movies I've watched by this point. But I, but now I I recognize it immediately. But I remember watching the movie for the first time, and they're just I thought they're just making a joke about hollow point bullets that explode people's heads when they get shot i didn't i had no i had i had no understanding that that was going to become a major plot point (laughs) that plays into the way that the film ends there's but there is almost this sort of like predestination to how every how everything loops yeah i think that's what it is which i think because it's like i think think ebert was the one who spoke about it it could have been it could have been dargis like it's kind Um, of irritating when Colin and Clemence Posey are making out and finds a Gleason like walk right behind them and you're like, oh, how cute that everyone didn't yeah. get back in the same place. But the movie's success that are trapped in a way, right? That like mm-hmm. he literally he tries to leave. He gets thrust back in, not just to Bruges, but to this like one spot that represents back like the, the beauty and the ugliness of 
this city. You know, Jeremy Renier is the son of the Gary's contact. Like, like, is that too screenwritery? I love that. It's, I love those kinds of little threads. It feels yeah. almost mystical to me. This uh, it wasn't Ebert. It was Karina Chicano of the L.A. Times wrote. Oh, that um, was I. Yeah, paywall uh, for me. As for sentimentalizing its characters, Ray, Ken, and Harry each have a code of honor, but each codes owe more to the movies than anything real. And anyway, who needs codes when the only people who seem to have them are always running around shooting guns at other people? Towards the end of the movie, when the lovely and very pregnant hotel owner Marie suggests that Harry and Ray put down their guns and go home, Harry replies, don't be ridiculous, this is the shootout. His frame of reference is clearly a screen. And Marie says, you guys are crazy, and you get the feeling that she doesn't just mean them. Yeah. I feel Um, like that's mm. what you're speaking of, this like kind of like predestination of the film but also what i was alluding to earlier as it's like the film's meta awareness of itself as a film uh i love thekla runa's performance in this movie uh as marie um i i loved it when i first saw this movie i love it to this day um it's just that it something about the idea that she's the only person who's not like in the criminal underworld we see in this entire movie really Mm-hmm. Or a tourist, right? They're tourists and there's criminals. And then she's the only real person. And she so gets how to be on a different energy level than mm. everyone else. And even with like minimal screen time, I find that character captivating. I love the scene where she gives Gleason back the money. I love the quiet dignity of like, I own this place. On yeah, the, on the this message is my hotel. Leaves. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a, you know, credit to him as a director that he casts well and he can give these like and Banshees is like and honestly, even even if the performances are all over the place and like a lot of them are bad, like three billboards too, that like he can he knows how to fill these smaller roles with people who can do a lot with them. Absolutely. Okay. It's after midnight where you guys are. We should probably <laughs> I think Connor's about to die. What it's Watch Mojo's top ten headshots. Connor, I'm gonna quit my job soon so we can start doing these on weekends. Okay, how about that? <laughs> tell me, tell me, top ten headshots in movies. Headshots. Yeah, oh, according fuck. to Watch I Mojo. Don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Do you remember any? Do I remember any what? Sorry, I was headshots in movies. People get shot in the head. Marvin's got to be number one. Marvin's number two. What the fuck? Yeah. Who's number one? Number one good is headshots. Uh, Brad Pitt. Oh, Burn After Reading. Yep. Yeah. Only movie I've ever walked out That's of. Good head. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Number three is. Um, I watched it to the end later. It's still not good. Number three is Leo DiCaprio. Get shot up in the head. Yeah. Leo. Dude, we oh, were just the Django. Departed, the Departed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Departed. Oh, the Departed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers for these movies, by the way. <laughs> number number four is in Drive, but I, I like literally don't remember when this happens. <laughs> you drive in the bathroom, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's just in the middle of the shootout in yeah. the bathroom. I think it's not. Uh, like a... Number five is the other is is so if the Departed is like a a plus Martin Scorsese movie, number five. So is Goodfellas, yeah, Pesci, yep. Yeah. Oh no. Uh Terminator 2, he shoots a guy in the head. I don't remember that one also. Sure. Um the Wait, Matrix what's... in the lobby, apparently they shoot a guy Doesn't in the head. Sh- maybe he clips him. 
Uh, I love that scene. Like Die a, Hard, like but when Hans kills Tagaki. Okay, yeah, that's oh, great. That's, that's cool. I would rank that higher. Yeah. Um, a drive over under drive. <laughs> we have another Tarantino. The whole Nicholas uh, Winning Refn held over like the nation's culture writers for a few years there. Dude, An it's insane moment it's in time. Coming back. It's not coming back. It's coming back. It's all over my Instagram. And I just bought it. I just bought an NWR branded box set, and it's not coming back. Okay. Um, True Romance. Uh, someone gets shot in the head. Yeah, Cody. sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a great movie. Is True Romance. Um, True Lethal Romance. Two. It's been revoked. It's just been revoked. That one. What was? What was? What was that? What was that? What was that? Lethal Weapon Two. Yeah. Okay. When he says it's um, just been revoked when the guy's like, I yeah, keep it's great. Community. It's the good scene in that movie. Okay, those are um, the 10. I just, That's all 10. I just want to clarify uh, the official position of above the title is that Quentin Tarantino sucks eggs, but the official <laughs> position of above the title is also that Tony Scott fucking rules. <laughs> that Dune is the best movie ever. And then, no, that's the official position. <laughs> I think Dune's like a soft <laughs> 7 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> wow, you give it a 7? Yeah. I'm generous. Out. Have you seen my letterbox? I'm so generous. I'll give anything I don't a seven. Your letterbox. Oh my gosh. What? I'm about to pull your letterbox <laughs> up right now. Uh, I gave he's all that a six out of ten for being generous. as evil as it is. Yes, for being captivating. I'll give right, any guys. piece of shit a seven out of ten. Guys, I gotta go to sleep. This was the in Bruges episode. Yeah. I don't know what just happened. I think this was a lot of fun. <laughs> This was all. I think we talked about every other movie ever made. Well, and that's what we do a little sometimes. bit too. Yeah, Maya, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks uh, for having me. I hope I, I hope participated had... enough. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? My gosh, I guess I should just be plugging myself. You know, plug like, yourself. Plug Let's myself. do it. No one ever does that. Yes, it's me, Maya M A Y A Dawi D A W I T. Um, I'm on all the social things. If you just there's one other Maya Dawit in the world. So if you Google me, you'll probably find all of my pages because she's hard to find. You know what? Follow that Maya too. Yeah, why not? Yeah, follow her too. She seems like a nice gal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, just a girl who works in film and television production who's not working right now. So if you have other fun things that you want to do related to film and television, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. Studios, please. Just give the writers. Give the writers money. Give the writers just give them the, the residuals. Just give them the money. It's it. Give them the money and just say you're not going to use AI. And we'll all be happy. Everybody will be happy. <laughs> or just say you'll use AI sparingly. Like, we get it. It's not about the AI. It's about who uses it. And you're going to use it evilly. Find someone who'll use it the right way. But yeah. Uh, Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. Uh, thanks for listening. Please remember, <laughs> I know you are. I'm gonna yeah. keep dragging this out. Uh, please remember to re- if you subscribe, uh, tell a friend if you like the show. Uh, once again, a shout out to our one listener bro- listener in Singapore. Holding it, uh, you're a real one. I know it's insane. I don't know what's going on there. Um, next I think it's week, a VPN, Maya. That's well, why, I guess. I, believe in love and romance and the beauty of the world <laughs> and casting um, colin farrell and more romantic comedies yes please nancy nancy myers i know your fucking scarjo movie got the plug pulled on it because everyone sucks uh call colin do a rom-com with colin yes um next week we are going to be back with a movie i have 
never heard of, but I'm going to put money on right now. I am going to like a lot. Uh, that is the 2008 Gavin O'Connor film, Pride and Glory. I actually think you're going to like this one. Yeah, it's a Gavin yeah. O'Connor movie. That's, it's a I Gavin like O'Connor movie. Of course I'm going to like it. He fucking rules. Are you kidding me? Have you seen Warrior? I think you're going to like this one. Yeah, let's fucking go. Uh, it looks like a bad James Gray movie for what I can tell, but I'm excited for that. Are we going to talk um, about We On The Night a lot? Is yes, that, we are. Okay. <laughs> yes, we are. I um, have to redact a lot of what I say. Uh, we might. Okay, so next week might be the last episode of this podcast. It might be sounding like. Um, <laughs> but, made it just uh, in time. That'll be a fun one. Maya, once again, thank you so much. And until next time, uh, fuck American tourists. Stop it, I'll pack a lies. I can feel it coming.